It's the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. On today's show, painter and artist, Schiamontis Pippis. When I was doing the abstract paintings, it, well, there were no specific ideas, and all there is is that residue <laughs> to, to show you that it happened. But like, what happened? I don't know what happened. I have no idea. You have no one has any idea what happened. There's this evidence for it, though. And then the last time I did uh, I get the abstract paintings, I just like looked at them on a wall one day, and they all looked like candy. I'm just making candy. <laughs> just you know, eye candy. You look at it, you can't really disagree with it, but it's like the, this. Then I, was, I thought, okay, now there's time to start thinking about the message. You know, what am I trying to say? Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. I'm Dan Buskirk, and here we talk to artists, writers, and musicians about their lives and work. You can find the Fun to Know podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, leave comments for us there, or email us at fundanopodcast, always with a numeral two, at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave a review over at our page on iTunes. Briefly, on the self-promotional tip, nice to see Fundano get a little attention in the daily paper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. In an article entitled, Attitude and Diversity Characterize the Podcast Scene in Philly, A.D. Amorosi gave the show a few paragraphs and described it as highbrow conversation. You can check it out online. It's in the May 27th edition of the Philadelphia Inquirer. The show was also mentioned in the Inquirer a few weeks later in connection with the films I'm hosting this summer at Andrew's Video Vault in the Rotunda on the University of Pennsylvania campus on 40th and Market in Philly every second Thursday of the month. The double bill mentioned in the paper is happening July 14th and will feature a First Nations double bill. First is the 1968 film White Comanche, a film William Shatner made while on hiatus from Star Trek in which he plays in the parlance of the day half-breed twin brothers, one who is a gunslinger, the other, after peyote-fueled visions, believes himself to be the Comanche Messiah. Second on the bill is 1991's Clear Cut, a rare English language feature from the Polish director Rizard Bujagski, concerning a Native American spirit played by Dances with Wolves' Graham Greene, who takes revenge on a logging exec for his crimes against the forest. It's a particularly unusual and uh, memorable favorite of mine. Once again, this will be at the Rotunda on Walnut at 40th Street in Philadelphia, Thursday, July 14th at 8 p.m. Also, just a few more weeks to register for the film appreciation class I'm teaching at Fleischer Arts Memorial beginning July. Uh, starting on July 12th, uh, Thursday nights, uh, the, sh- the class is entitled The Big Tent Political Campaigns on Film. With the Democratic Presidential Convention touching down among maximum drama, it seemed a great time to revisit a handful of films featuring political campaigns, including... Franklin J. Schaffner's 1964 adaptation of Gore Vidal's play The Best Man, featuring Henry Fonda. Uh, Michael Ritchie's 1972 classic, The Candidate, its screenplay by Eugene McCarthy speechwriter Jeremy Larner and starring Robert Redford. Uh, The War Room, D.A. Pennebacher's documentary on Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign and the 2005 Peabody Award-winning documentary, Shirley Chisholm, Unbought and Unbossed, chronicling the 1972 campaign of the first woman and the first African-American to launch a major party bid for the presidency. 
The films will be screened in Fleischer's Beautiful Sanctuary, and you can find out more about the class at Fleischer.org. That's Fleischer, F-L-E-I-S-H-E-R.org. Now on to our conversation with artist and writer Scamantis Pipas. The show interviews a lot of musicians and writers who make it easy to sample their work on a non-visual podcast. But with visual artists, it is important that you take one extra step and Google the name Scamantis Pipas. That's S-K-I-R-M-A-T-A-S-P-I-P-A-S. And his web- website is simply scaramontaspipas.com. And of course, you can find links to his page at Fundano's Facebook page. Scamontis, I'll use his anglicized nickname Skip throughout, is in the process of painting fantastically otherworldly landscapes that serve as history paintings of a world yet uncharted. I first met Skip when he briefly worked at a Philadelphia cafe in my neighborhood, a lovely spot called the Chapter House, where Skip revealed himself to be an unusually thoughtful and uh, perceptive 29-year-old. Only after getting to know him better did he share his story as a 21st century American immigrant relocating from Lithuania to Philadelphia in the years after the Soviet Union's collapse. Living under the Soviet system and the West has given Skip a rich perspective on our country and our moment in time. Over our expansive conversation, Skip discusses arriving in the U.S. as a non-English speaker, navigating the city's somewhat insufficient English-as-a-second-language program, attending art school, we discuss Lithuania, iPhones, iPads, gaming, and the Internet, and the interest and concerns that Skip is working into his paintings. There is an eloquence to Skip's insights that I found particularly intriguing as I pieced together this episode. I think you'll enjoy the ideas he brings to today's show. Let's go to that conversation. It takes place in the back room of Skip's West Philly apartment, and you will hear a steady array of passing sounds in the background. Circular saws, car alarms, sirens, crashes from the other room. I'm taking it in as a certain aural scenery of the bustling neighborhood of West Philly. So Skip, how are we going to uh, set this up? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to take your lead, I guess. My specialty is, you know, putting images on flat things. <laughs> the the speech has always been difficult, so I guess. I should give you like a, you know, I'm here with painter and artist. Uh, that's the other thing I needed to know. I needed to know exactly how to pronounce your name. Skiramantas Pipas? Uh, Skiramantas Pipas. Skiramantas Pipas. Yeah. Is that close or is that yeah. good? Well, yeah, this is pretty good. It's just like the rolling of the R, I guess. Is the Try it one more time for me. Skirmantas Pipas. Skirmantas Pipas. 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 Yeah, it's like a shorter thing. But I remember for some, like when I first arrived, like, I, you know, it was like the end of fifth grade. And I would kind of like, all right, so we have a new student. You, know, <laughs> you arrived from, from, from Lithuania. Lithuania. So Lithuania. Like, Where, what was uh, your... Vilnius, Lithuania. So, yeah, I was born in, in the Vilnius, Lithuania um, capital. Uh, in 19, I mean in 1985, and then we came here in 97. What was the, the capital of uh, Lithuania like? I have to. Uh, as a child, I mean it was it was pretty. It was fun, I guess. I just remember being like as, as uh, kind of like the adults being occupied with dealing with the uh, post-revolution kind of like newfound, you know, independence. So like, 
it was kind of just like free reign like you know yeah. as, a, as a child you just kind of so when did the when did the Russian influence over Lithuania stop 91 91 yeah so I was like I remember I was you know what was I like six or something you know and uh it seemed just like any other day. I remember it was like, um, I'd, I'd spend the weekends with my dad. So I was just like, I think it's probably a weekend because I remember being with my dad. I, I don't know if it was or maybe it feels like it was, could have been a Friday. Or, but yeah, so I was um, spending the day with him. And then at I remember at night he was just kind of tucking me in like like always, you know, just saying good night. And I was like, you have your jacket, you know, like, what's, where are you going? He's like, oh, you know, don't worry. I love you. Everything's fine. And it turns out, like, he went out into, you know, the revolution was just going down or whatever. Like, people were uh, storming the radio station and, you know, the TV tower. And first, so first, um, they grabbed all the all the media kind of points and just started broadcasting to the world. Like, we're declaring independence, you know, from uh, Soviet Russia. Help. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> that's all that, you know, that's as far as they got. Well there, well, there was like, you know, a whole Senate, like they had a, people lined up to be ready to, to, to kind of step in as the new administration and all that. So, but, yeah. but there was no plan of action of like, how exactly were you going to, you know. Get as, as somebody who seeks, you know, progress in, in, in any realm, like, you know, revolution is the romance, like the idea of we're going to have a revolution. But uh, it's a mess usually. Yeah, yeah. It just <laughs> yeah, means like once once that has happened, like yeah, the the, the next steps are are grueling and painful. Well, you're just usually. winging it, yeah. Yeah. No, but so I remember he he just went out that night, and I was just like, all right, I guess he's going out. You know, from so the child's perspective was just kind of like, well, I guess I'll just go to bed. And I just remember like, and then like lights and like fireworks going on. What the hell's going on? You know, I just kind of like stared out the window, like looking at the at the balcony and just like seeing kind of like light, some kind of commotion. Something was happening, you know. But I'm like, well, I'm a kid. It's not like I'm gonna go outside in the middle of the night. I should probably just go to bed. So I think I just well, yeah, just like brushed it off, went to sleep, never thought about it again. And then you know later, one of the summers that I you know I've gone back, kind of we hang out, and then he, he's just kind of saying like. Oh, we were driving out of his uh, apartment. I forgot where we were going, but he was kind of going this the, the way that he went out of the house that day. So he's like, then I walked here, you know, turned the corner, and he's like, and that's the radio station, and you could still see, like, bullet holes in the in the building where they just, like, so everybody was unarmed, kind of standing, and the Soviets showed up. And they were saying, disperse, disperse. They wouldn't, so they just shot off a bunch of uh, rounds, like, over right over their heads, you know, to freak people out. Um... So he's like, you know, and I'm like, so you just stood there without a gun, like looking at people, fucking like a tank rolled up and, you know, AK-47s and, and all that. But people just, yeah, there was no going back. And I guess just think that that was, he's like, I wasn't even thinking. You just kind of, once I got outside and I just saw how people were acting and what was happening, you just kind of become one with it. And then, you know, then before you know it, you're standing in front of a guy with a gun. And he's just like, all right. <laughs> what next but the whole family was out looking for him you know trying to get him back like wow. what are you doing so so when did you notice a change in, in the that something life? went down i guess uh what changed for um, you know it's a pre a pre i think it hit like one school like once they announced it at school i think you know like you kind of go in because it was like the most official thing like the home life was kind of like i don't know it's you know like everybody's like having like an identity crisis like because in the Soviet system, like you were just assigned, like what you, it was decided where you were going to work, where you're going to live, your whole life was planned. So that people kind of just like were forced to surrender into that kind of just like, oh, okay, you know, this, 
I'll, I'll trust it, whatever it is. Once that was gone, everybody, I just remember as a child overhearing, you know, conversations like, so what kind of job, like, you know, like, like just kind of brainstorming, like, what could you do? I don't know. Like, I, I could do that. Well, do you want to do that? Like, I, don't, I never thought about it that way, you know, like, well, what do I want to do? You know, and then so like people were kind of just like having those kinds of discussions for a while, just like trying to figure out like. Well, so much of your identity is based on that, you know, what your what your profession is, and to to have that suddenly thrown in the uh, into the wind is uh, yeah, it's got to be a well, giant you, identity crisis for for a nation. Right, and you, I guess on a personal level, you negotiate your identity in response to the state, whatever state you're in, you know. Because as a child, like, for, and they, they announced the rules kind of like in the 12 years of school. You know, like, these are the rules. These are the, the bad guys. These are the good guys. This is the narrative. You know, and then how much you stick to that narrative depends on how much of a reward that the system gives to you. You know, <laughs> if you fill in the roles, like, oh, good boy, good boy. Yeah. So, you know, so I was thinking, it's like you react to the system and all of a sudden one day, like, you... Um, you're reacting and you're acting and it feels bad. You're thinking, okay, it's not working. Like the way we're playing this game, this relationship isn't really working. You know, then the relationship, let's say, ends. Like the Soviets, they just left. Like, all right, we broke up. <laughs> you know, but then, like, then you're, I guess, left in the room. Like, well, what do you do now? Like, it's like, oh shit, I don't know. Like, I was, so much of my identity was in just arguing with you and reacting with you. And like, <laughs> what was I allowed to do in the context of the relationship or not? You know. And then what that means once that's over the framework is gone and then all of a sudden you don't you don't have a you know a framework to react to it's like for some people too liberating like a lot of people were just lost in that void you know yeah. i definitely know it freaked out my dad but he just somehow managed like the firm that he was with he's an architect and so he was an architect under the you know the soviet system took a lot of effort because at first they're like go be a soldier he's like i just want to go to school they're like not nah, go be a but then eventually he went, you know, got into the school, uh, became an architect. Um, and then the firm he was, I guess, or the people that he was working, that turned into a company. Everything got privatized, you know. And um, the, so his boss stayed his boss. His uh, co-workers pretty much stayed as co-workers. And they just kind of wrote it out, you know. Yeah. Economically, probably not the best decision. But, like... Yeah, I, I guess they, maybe they just sold off parts of the state, I guess, to private companies that picked I it up I, I guess? think in, under some but like I just know that they went through a lot of hard like the adaptation was kind of hard I think maybe it would have been easier to kind of like rip the band-aid off quicker like let's say just <laughs> like fuck it and then maybe go independent or something you know because he's he just that's what he said himself like he's thinking in retrospect I think if like me and a couple of buddies would have started just like would have completely separated from you know them and just knowing what we know we could have started a company we just didn't know that we knew enough to start a company because we didn't know what a company was you know so sure. like, do we and he's like I don't fucking know you do it I just need a job like, yeah I mean I guess a, a business but, education in Lithuania wasn't telling you how to start your own company during no. the Soviet era well there, there was no business I, don't, I guess there probably was some kind of education but it was not yeah you were not encouraged to start your own company or to even think in those terms yeah yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So then, all of a sudden, that's gone. And you know, what the hell do you do? So my mom was like, "Let's go to America." <laughs> it's great there, obviously. And it what, what was your perception of the United States before you uh, you came here? I think at the age of twelve, I guess, right? I was very naive, actually, because I still remember. Like, I remember her talking about, you know, we're gonna uh, applying for the green card, and then I guess. 
I knew that it happened, but I knew that it's like she wanted to kind of hold, not get too excited in case, you know, it didn't go through or something. So I knew there was like some kind of tension, but I just went on about my day. You know, I wanted to like <laughs> try to start a fire or something, you know, try to get some matches or something, you know, just like be a kid. Uh, melt my sister's doll heads or something, just rip them off. <laughs> what kind of kid were you? I was a malicious child. Yeah. I was the, yeah, the, that's I think that's why I'm a good person. Like the 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 moral thing kicked in a little later, I think, and then like so I did some bad stuff already. And I was like, hey, yeah, how do I feel about that in retrospect? Yeah, kind of bad. Like I didn't do anything like you know overly terrible. Like but but yeah, just like I wasn't thinking. Like I think it changed. Like I have this memory. Also, the guilt. The guilt is still there. We did you grow up religious at all? Or? No, actually, yeah, the God thing never kicked in. Just. I also I have an uncle who's a Lutheran priest, and so like when I was growing up, was, like I said, I was born in the capital, and it was kind of like we um, have one of those little Soviet apartments in the capital that like every you know part of their whole like master plan is like we built these homes for you, you go. <laughs> like I don't know, I'm fine here, go. I'm like okay, fine. So <laughs> they need to organize you in cubes. <laughs> exactly, and reshuffle. Uh, they relocate to change the population, to change the connections, break down the you know the micro communities into the Soviet you know all. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So they wanted everyone to move, and I think that's what also unifies America. Everybody moving. You get a you grow up in one city, get a job in another, start a family in another state, go back. You know, move. The bouncing around forms those connections. If there weren't any incentives, you would just stay in your fucking neighborhood. You know, and then yeah. get weird. But it would be nice, I think. But uh, so, so what, was your, I, I what was your impression of America before you came? Before I came. Just nothing. They said we won the I remember the green card, and then in school people were like, "You're going, you know." Did like, you see movies or uh, hear music or? MTV just showed up. So like, as a kid, I came in '97. I guess now we saw. Yeah, I saw RoboCop. Really messed me up. <laughs> I remember that. That's but, a good introduction to America, RoboCop. <laughs> well, was that RoboCop and a few other movies? I remember like there would you would go. Well, my parents would go to underground uh, like uh, VHS well rental spots but they're obviously illegal because like in the Soviet art you couldn't see any like American you know things uh, just, you couldn't have a business with rentals like that's illegal you know so but there was like each neighborhood had like a guy in the basement is an underground economy you know cropping right up, yeah. And it's kind of funny because, like, you, uh, in the Soviet buildings, like, you, each apartment has then, like, an assigned, uh, you know, little storage facility in the basement, which you can also use as uh, double as a bomb shelter in case, you know, the Americans bomb. So you just run to your little cellar. And, you you know, if you live in an apartment, whatever, then it has the course. Well, there's an impression number. of America there. They might come bomb you and send you down into the cellar. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exa <laughs> the, the escape hatches. Like, <laughs> but most people just use it to, you know, put store potatoes and, and pickle jars and, and things like that or VHS tapes you know and run <laughs> well this is a, but yeah so the the Robocop was dubbed in Russian you know which was like but it was so shitty you know like I remember it was it'd be just a movie playing and you'd hear the the, the volume I guess they didn't know how to lower so they, they would somehow just record you know the voiceover on top of the people speaking but kind of try to you, you know, because if it's a guy tried to speak louder than the actor, it would ruin the kind of film. So they would actually speak more quiet than the, the actual <laughs> volume of the film. But in between, you know, just, just like sneak it in real quick and then like translate. 
I don't even know how to explain it. It was just really crappy. No, I, should, I get I should, it. Yeah, really. You should watch yeah. like a clip on YouTube or something. I'm sure they have it. But, uh, you know, the kids weren't allowed to watch it. So I remember like once they would get into the movie, I'd always just kind of wait about 15 minutes and then just like crack the door open like to, <laughs> to, the, to the living room and just kind of, you know, like peek in and just watch and end up watching the whole movie. <laughs> that one and what else did they? But like, yeah. Grew up with, also grew up with the, my uh, stepdad. Like my parents split when I was five, and then I grew. Up, uh, so she's still married to the uh, my stepdad, who's a very avid like jazz fan and just music, fan. like lots of uh, records in the house when we were growing up. Janice was another thing that was uh, for, for, forbidden. <laughs> yeah, well, they were into being sneaky and mischievous. I guess that was like a thing. But I guess well, well they sound like they're artistic was, people, and if you're artistic that, people, yeah. you want to tap into what's going on worldwide. You know. Yeah. From what I was told, for whatever reason, because I guess Lithuania is on has a, a port, so it's easier to get, uh, as far as the rest of the Soviet Union, yeah. you know, to, to get access to those kinds of things. Contraband so, kind of things. Right, yeah, yeah. If you knew, like, a sailor in the family, or then, you know, you, right. you, then you're set. That's the reason the R&B records got into <laughs> Liverpool where the Beatles discovered them, because it was a port town. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. I guess uh, I, I didn't even take it for, uh, I didn't think of it as America. Like I heard the, you know, the Jimi Hendrix set, for example, like, yeah. did, and I was like, I like this, you know, <laughs> Eric Clapton, he played, Eric Clapton. Paul McCartney, didn't he play Russia at one point in this era? Yeah, I don't know if, I don't, I have no memories, I guess, of any kind of, but yeah, there were Beatle records too, there was a lot of. So he had a good collection. He's still pissed because he's like, oh, when we were moving to America, he said it sold off all the uh, the, the records. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, we're going to America. I'm sure I could just get the same records, probably in better quality for cheaper. And then they're all like, you know, rare and like <laughs> being, he was pissed. He's like, fuck, why did I sell them? <laughs> I sell them? But yeah, when I arrived, it was, uh, it was a huge kind of shock. It was a total shock because I had no... Like, you know, those few movies that I, I, I saw, it was, wasn't really enough to kind of form an image. And right before leaving, I guess, like, I start, stopped going to school before we, like, we flew, because I guess it was done, like, I'd taken out of school, we're about to leave. Transition, so I stayed home a lot and watched TV, and it was MTV, uh, it was, or just, like, music videos started uh, popping up on TV, which blew my mind. Like, I saw uh, the, the Black Hole Sun sound garden was one of the first things I saw like the, that's why I started melting my sister's dolls that's what triggered yes because I, I think that happened in the music or something with a doll melt I was going to do that see America is evil <laughs> before that I was so it was already teaching you how to consume dolls at that point yeah I was very polite before all the, all the music videos So you came, where did you uh, arrive when you came Philadelphia. to the Philadelphia. Yeah. And we just uh, got at the airport and then, yeah, I remember they walked up. Because I think they were under the impression someone was going to greet them and, you know, kind of like to... Uh, someone from immigration was going to be right, right like there to walk you through kinda, the process. Kind of like an asylum thing, but I guess you have to apply for those kinds of things to happen I don't know but they just you know they got the green card they like sold everything they had you know there's th- some money and so they're thinking like alright we'll just 
we'll go there, get jobs, and wing it. You know, it was kind of like, yeah. I guess I can't, you know, judge them for too much for how much they knew coming out. But it seems like a to- like a long shot, I guess. You know, like <laughs> oh, all right. But they they're pretty brave, I guess, for just going. But um, yeah, I mean, to go. You know, thousands of miles somewhere where you you don't speak the native language exactly. or you you know you're not yeah they just the had the dictionaries in the pockets you know like some basic knowledge like they obviously tried to study it but like once you actually get there and you're taking in the location and like speaking is a whole nother another thing like the knowing the language on you know on, on paper or some vocab words like well how do you actually <laughs> put them to use you know so that was intense so this was your stepfather and your and your and mother came? yeah and and my uh my younger sister, Gauda, who was at this point was like five, I guess. Sorry. How much younger is she than you? Five, five years younger. So, yeah, if I was like 11, almost 12. So she was like six, six or seven. So, yeah, we got to the airport and they're like, you know, hey, so somebody, they're like, I don't know who the hell you are, you know, because like, what do you need? You don't know where you're going to stay, all right? So, like, they just uh, set us up at, uh, I think it's called the Parker on 13th. Yeah, that's a kind of notorious. <laughs> So that was day one. Uh, yeah, I mean, as long as I can know, you know, prostitutes standing in front yes, of Yes, I saw several, and, well, we just, that's, it was, yeah, my mom was basically like, okay, one prostitute, two prostitutes, all right, we're getting on the elevator, yep, another prostitute, we're not staying here, you know, and then my stepdad was like, well, where the fuck are we staying, what are you talking but yeah, like, so the guy at the, we're sitting there, and I remember they're sitting in those little plastic chairs, me and my sister just kind of looking at each other, like, what's happening? Like, they don't, like, we, we were young, but we were, like, old enough to be like, they don't know what is happening. Like, all right, well, we got to stick with it, just see where this goes, you know? And I'm, like, trying to look at the the guy at the airport to read him, like, this, is he going to help us? Does he understand? Like, I'm like, he's confused. Like, that's like, shit, this is not going well, you know? And then, so then... It's like, okay, you guys can, uh, got your hotel, there's a cab outside, just, you know, kind of like, get out of my office, I don't know, just go. (laughs) But, yeah, so that's the only thing we have to go on, so you get in the cab, arrive at the hotel, kind of go in, and the bellhop comes in, he just has one hand, like he has another arm missing, like, got cut, I don't know what happened, you know, but as a child, like, I'm eye level with with the nub, I'm just looking at it like, fuck. Like, do you want me to carry the luggage? And he's <laughs> but you know he gets the luggage onto the. And we mostly just had uh, books, lots, so many books. I don't know why they brought so many books with them and the guitar and the books. Yeah. And just all well, I mean, it, it wasn't like you were you know you knew you were going to run into a stack of Lithuanian language books here in, in the United States. I can see where you're holding on to a, a culture. You're holding oh, yeah. on to something there. I, yeah, I mean, exactly, it's true. But at the time, at that moment, I just remember, like, all right, we have all these books. We're trying to get into this tiny little hotel. But we left the books on the street for a while. It was, I remember, well, as a child, who knows how big it was. As a child, it seemed like a small wall, though, I remember. I sat on the second level, and my sister sat on the first level of boxes. And we just, <laughs> like, how is this going to go? And then, uh, yeah, I just remember, like, uh, my mom, you know, saying, we're not staying at this hotel. Just, like, kids, you go sit on the boxes. And then she's like, what do you want me to do? She's yelling at him. I'm like, you figure out how to ask, where is the nearest hotel? This is not a hotel. Like, so we're just like, we're just kind of sitting there taking in the, the street. And I'm like, oh, all right, Philadelphia. So like my idea of Philadelphia and to this day is kind of like that corner. I'm like looking at the Parker and just looking down the street, you know. But yeah, so it's an interesting street, you know, and I'm just like taking it. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, looks fun. And then, uh. 
And then, so yeah, so then the stepdad figures out how to say, where's the nearest hotel? And then he asks, like, some random person. And they just kind of, like, have some kind of conversation, part sign language. And then he just, you know, says, go just around the block, the double tree, like, right? Broad Street, because that was yeah, the yeah. closest thing. Kind of expensive, but whatever, you know. So then we get sent there and go in. My mom's like, fuck, just, just get us a room, just... I need to lie down. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly what happened. We got into the room. They just passed out. I, I think we passed out. Maybe I just, like, stayed as a kid and, like, probably stayed up looking at stuff. I don't re- really remember too many. kind of remember the detail. You know, a lot of tan colors. and It's boring. It's a hotel. You know? <laughs> and then the next day, we go downstairs. Uh, and they're kind of, they start talking, you know, like, this is too expensive. We can't stay here another day. Like, we've got we to gotta start thinking of, like, another plan. So they're just like, fuck. And they're just like, well, they look at the menu, and they're like, damn, everything's expensive. I don't even know what the heck they are. So, like, and they don't, and, like, so the waiter comes, it's, pretty, it's empty, very quiet. I think we were the only ones down there. It was probably really early. Or we're just kind of sitting in the lobby, actually. Because people were kind of going in and out. I don't think they even knew where to go or what but we're sitting in that lo- nice lobby with all the glass you know it's at the street level so me and my yeah. sister just kind of relaxed they got us a chocolate chip cookie and we're like ah the cookie we're breaking <laughs> half like it's the first American cookie and we're just kind of enjoying it and they're like yeah go sit over there we gotta talk about some things uh, so we could just kind of feel this the stress <clears throat> and I think the the waiter also kind of sensed and uh, so he just kind of starts to like hover a little and then he overhears and he's like, hey, do you speak Polish? Because he's, he's a Polish immigrant. You know? um, and they're like, uh, a little bit, you know, we speak Russian so we can kind of understand. Like, oh, okay, okay. So they start talking and they kind of tell him the situation. He's like, oh, man, all right, well, you can stay with me for a couple of weeks, like not long, but like, just, you know, come stay at my place. I totally understand what's going on. I went through the same thing. I'm from Poland, you know, and my name is... Uh, Arthur and uh, I forgot I don't, never knew his last name I guess never asked either he's like yeah stay at my place I remember he was his uh, I don't know if it was his, his boyfriend or partner or like how serious they were but I think they were like living together and I remember he was pre- like this Italian guy like, he was pretty pissed he had to move and like sleep on it <laughs> somewhere else and like me and the sister kind of like took up a space and Skip like, gave the stat sign for Italian guy which is <laughs> pointing to the gold necklace around your neck <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he he had the, like the you know the, the now he's gel, doing the slick the back hair. Spray, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, that's kind of satire. Good. And you just kind of sit there and just be like, look at ah, these kids. Uh, but yeah, we stayed there a couple of weeks, and he like Arthur took a took us to the uh, Lithuanian Community Center, and they kind of like things, you know, they kind of took it from there. But he was, he was cool. He took us to the gallery from what I remember now. It was my first toy store. I remember, I, which is funny because like I only put it together years later, like where his apartment was, which was near Washington Square. Because all I had was these kind of fragmented memories as a child, yeah. you know, like seeing certain color bricks or just like very vague kind of like walking to the first toy store. I just remember kind of being like, oh, I'm fucking tired. I don't know. It's an, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. I don't even know if I like this place. It just seems crazy. Like <laughs> prostitutes left and right. Not really, but you know, you're <laughs> you land at the Parker. So like, yeah, we just kind of had this fragmented memory of like walking out. I guess we just walked to the gallery because why wouldn't we from Washington Square? It's not that far. It's pretty reasonable. But yeah. I, And then so I remember it's like just parts of... Uh, 
the sidewalk in Washington Square, little snippets of the park, and then seeing the post office, and then just like overload. I the guess. post office is a giant building made uh, during the uh, the Roosevelt administration with the, uh, the the big work program. Uh, yeah, it looks very like Soviet or, or fascist kind of. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's giant yeah. sculptures. Uh, right, I think I probably yeah. like that. Probably reminded me of like the, the Soviet sculptures of the worker, but there it was like you know the, the capitalist ideal, but like. The execution, like the style was... Uh, yeah, yeah, grand and, yeah. and the mythic. Yeah, That's the so one thing I think the United States and Russia really shares is this great sense of national myths of, yeah. uh, of strength and power and right. that kind of thing. Yeah, That's one of the interesting things about you when I first met you was you really had that perspective from uh, both sides of the Iron Curtain of uh, what the countries promised you and what they delivered. Very little. It's all <laughs> lies. It's all, it's all just... Well, it's all dreams, you know, and then there's... There's a segment of society for whom the dream was created, for whom it works, and then, you know, then there's the, the reality. Unfortunately, I think I, re- I grew up in the, where I saw the real side of each side. Yeah, yeah, Gabor Mate, I think I've mentioned this quote before, uh, a doctor who lived on both sides of the Soviet Union, and his perception was, what, what the United States says about Russia and what Russia says about the United States, those things are both true. But what they say about themselves are all lies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you follow this formula, you will find out what's, what, yeah, what's going on. But uh, so, what, what, what did your father do uh, when he uh, when he got here and got settled finally? Uh, your stepfather. So, oh yeah, well he was a cardi- uh, he was an open heart surgeon in Lithuania, and then because his degree wasn't accepted uh, here, when, so he went through medical school again. But he just didn't. I guess you know, he had he had a, a day job and then he was going to school, so it was like having like. It was an intense, say, a few years in the very beginning. So they basically, but my both of my parents went through college again, you know. Wow. But uh, now he just uh, works at a at a private office in New Jersey, kind of like more chill. Finally, you know, he likes it there. So you know, there's like a, a level of kind of like disappointment, I guess, that he couldn't do the same thing that he was doing there. But I guess financial, or it's like the, the life here that they have now is. It's pretty similar, I guess, than what they kind of left behind, you know. Really? They, or, like, I think they're at a better... I mean, he sounds oh, very I mean, successful to be a, in the medical profession, uh, you know, at any level is, uh, you know, rising above, the, you know, the working class a bit. Right. It's uh, definitely an achievement, you know. Mm-hmm. and they, they, I'm not trying to, I guess, diminish. They definitely achieved, and I guess... It's just, I guess it's hard to tell. But I'm just thinking, like, Lithuania was a mess. So you're thinking, like, relatively, like, okay, it's a mess there, I'm going to leave... But I'm just thinking how hard they had to work to get back just what they left behind. And sure. then to get what, when we got here, it was, you know, because you don't know the language, like you start at lower than zero because you have no way to engage with the, the world. You're there, but you're, I mean, people practically, they don't see you, they don't react to you. You're, you're not real. You're, you're like somebody who can't communicate with them. Exactly. And, you know, you're, so you're, you're invisible. Yeah. yeah, you're useless. You're absolutely useless. And then so you like the, you have this feeling of like oh, I have all these skills. You like 
I can fix your fucking heart. Like if you if you need a heart surgery, I can. You know, but you have no way to say that. You feel like very powerless. So like, it's got to be, be a huge that. jar to the uh, identity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a huge. It's, yeah, it definitely humbles you, and it kind of gives you a grander, like a better perspective on on things. Um, but it also makes it a lot harder to interact with people because then you do very little people have a similar shared uh, experience and a, a similar kind of test, you know, like, because once you go through that experience, you, you know yourself a little better, you know. And so, yeah, so I guess it just makes it harder to, to, to connect, I think, from, from, from just what I see, I guess. Where did this land you? Where, where did when did you find your feet in the United States? And where were you at as an artist at this point too? I mean, you, we haven't even touched on that. But, yeah. Well, I think you I'm, obviously have pursued this diligently for a lifetime. Yes. Well, yeah. I guess I was kind of you know since I was a, a young kid, I just kind of knew like I'm not really don't seem to be interested in many other things other than this one kind of thing. I felt guilty about it, I think, for a while as a kid. Like, I thought it was like a cop-out to be an artist for some kind of sense. Like, cause I just thought, you know, there's some bigger, like, issues in the world that, like, there's just more, like, I, I think I want it to be more useful. Like, I Yeah, I wouldn't say they're the most celebrated members of society, necessarily. Right, exactly. And you, I think you, you sense that as a kid, too. You kind of, you know where the hierarchies go, and then people tell you, like, whether, whether you believe them or not is a whole other thing that you later figure out, you know. And then you adjust where you stand. But in the in the beginning, you don't know where you stand. So you're told, like, this is the hierarchy. You know, so I kind of had this vague idea of, like, oh, I guess I'll be an architect, too. Because I guess that's, like, appropriate to aim for. Yeah. You know, but then once I realized that's not the path necessarily I wanted, you know, so I just let it go. It wasn't necessarily that. Was there pressure from uh, your, your parents at all to pursue uh, some practical no. profession? Worry, lots and lots of worry, but I guess they did not, thankfully they didn't, you know, my dad not at all, he was just kind of like, hey man, I'm going to be, uh, I don't know. Was he hey. back in Lithuania? Yeah. yeah. But he was all, I think he was always kind of like pleased on some level that, you know, his son is being like, hey, I want to be an architect, just like you. He was like, oh, you don't have to be, because he was always he was like, you don't have to be, but well, thank you. <laughs> and then one day I was like, yeah, I don't want to be an architect anymore, you know, I love you and everything, and He's like, well, that's cool, man. What do you want to do? I think I just want to paint. I don't know. I just want to make art. Like, it's like, fine, just do it. Enjoy. You know. Yeah. Never said anything. You know, bad. same with my mom. She was just always kind of concerned. You know, financially, like, how are you actually just gonna? Uh, like, I don't want you to struggle, kind of thing. Like, yeah. Ah, you know, life isn't exactly easy anyway. And then this is like, I just wanted to find, I guess, a struggle I didn't mind taking on, kind of. So I was that kind of, and then later on in life, you know, it's like everything, the whole like usefulness thing, it's just, the more you think about it, that like, it's like, I don't know if the, uh, the things that I thought as a child were like uh, being, you know, useful, let's say, or like the things that society rewards you for, like, well, is there any reason to do it anyway? Like in the name of what? Like, it's just like to get the reward? Like, is it actually useful to... I don't know to, to let's say to be a coal miner you're thinking like well I'm mining coal I'm giving people electricity you know like it's something <laughs> something useful but like do you have to know I mean, there's a there's a romance I'm not quite ready to dispense with the idea that you know becoming an artist is sort of like becoming a priest that you hear the calling and you know once you've heard the calling it's your life has been dedicated you know yeah if, if you feel it that deeply it, it, it becomes you know something that it becomes the way you relate to the world you know yeah, exactly. It kind of determines, you know, every so it's, it, yeah. 
it stopped feeling like a choice. The older I got, it just is like, oh, it's common sense. Like this is, this is a way to be useful. Yeah. Because in this way, this, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing, and, and I think this is probably the least harmful thing yeah. that I could do. When I when I've had those the, the sort of business friends who've asked, you know, why don't I go straight? Like, how comfortable would you be if I asked you to like become an artist right now? <laughs> like, you know, like you, you you think that you know artistic people can switch roles so easily, but nobody thinks that they can they could switch into the artistic role that easily. You know, right. Well, and it also feels less than, uh, of, than less of a role than anything else would be. I guess it feels mo- most natural. Yeah, I don't see it as a career or as like a thing you do. It's it, I just see it as a mental space you kind of enter, you know. And once I I started you know entering it more and more, I just decided one day like I just want to stay there, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that actually. So, just so I just uh, that that because that's the driving force is to uh, create and stay creative. Were you, were you drawing as uh, you know? I was always drawing. I just didn't think of uh, as art. Also, like it just felt so natural. You know, it's like oh, it's just this is what I do. You know, it's like it didn't see because art always seemed like you this like a striving for something to prove or you know because you, you I grew get, up with a lot of you know, uh, books on on painting and art history because my mom she was a fashion designer in, in Lithuania like, designing fur coats and winter gear and stuff. Wow. You know, because it's a cold place. <laughs> And, but then she also liked to, uh, you know, do painting, like watercolors and oil paintings. And I probably took on her attitude because she saw herself as a, like a fashion designer and that's her role and that's kind of what she enjoyed. And then the painting is just like for fun and be like, oh, wow, that's really good. And she's like, kind of always really humble, like, no, 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 it's just painting. So then I was like, oh, if it's just that easy, I want to try it too, you know, one day. And then I was like, yeah, I think I like it. And it just kind of took off. But also always felt like, Art school was just weird because that's when I think when I noticed that this just like oh my god like people have cultivated such elaborate personas of you know, like I'm an artist <laughs> like I just you know was, I'm a, I think people have told me I'm a pretty weird dude I'm okay with it I think I'm you know I'm obviously not like but then I I never felt like I need to advertise this you know like at the time I just kind of I think I just have a T-shirt. Just looked very, very plain. Like had you know, in high school I went through I think the crazy. I had the, the crazy mohawks, blue and orange. Like it was you know the peacock feathers all over. It was the bloom and in full, full the teenage thing you know. So that was in overboard, and I think I was, when college started, I was like, all right, enough of that shit. Let me just tone it down. Enough fashion shows, you know, just t-shirt, <laughs> jeans. Go learn how to paint. Um, so were you were, were you getting positive feedback through school for your art and everything? Or? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of also, I guess that's also why it made, kept making sense because I just did it. it. It seemed effortless and kind of, you know, and people would just come up and say, hey, man, that's good, you know. talked about the transition i mean you went to school as a non-english speaker i mean oh, that, that, that had to be a big bump uh, to uh, definitely well there was like to. two years of uh of uh limbo kind of like being in the like a purgatory kind of thing like also that's what, what school did you go to uh so i got here land philadelphia northeast and then they put me in anne frank middle school what are, what are the character of those schools like 
I mean, well, actually, Anne Frank it was like a month. It was like in the final months of fifth grade, so it was just very like jagged, like uh, 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 gone. And then Baldy, Baldy, Baldy Middle School. Anne Frank was an elementary school, so okay. it's like. But yeah, Baldy Middle School, and that the characters basically—I wouldn't say—I guess it's not quite suburban, but it has that vibe. Like you're, you're familiar familiar with the Northeast, I guess. Sure. Northeast. Yeah. It goes on forever, and it's just. Sort of working class enclaves, you know, small houses, and uh, were there row houses where you're living? Or, uh, yeah, and in the be- well, in the beginning, uh, we were just staying in a, like apartment complexes. Yeah. So like you know, like yeah, there's a million exactly, apartment complexes. Exactly, along. a million uh, complexes, a million row homes, and then the, the apartment complexes tend to hold like the first arrivals of immigrants, and then they kind of disperse in the row homes, and it's like mm-hmm. a they land, and then it's just like filter through. Yeah, exactly, like a Brita <laughs> filter. <you know? laughs> Slowly leak into the bigger you know, container. So yeah, it was I don't know. It was like a pretty chill place, I guess to to take it all in, you know. Um, but so we first got into yeah one of those apartment buildings, and uh, yeah, like after well, we just like the, the, we got to the Lithuanian Community Center, and then they kind of uh, I think most of them lived in the suburbs around the northeast. They were familiar. They're like. Kids will be safe there. We'll put you in the schools, you know. So, hence uh, Baldy Middle School is kind of just in the in the middle of all of the in the nest of the northeast. Yeah, yeah. I guess like I don't remember. You're navigating puberty and uh, American middle schools <laughs> in a, in a new language. Uh, it sounds a little bumpy. It was weird. Yeah, it was. Well, it was just it was no way to to communicate. So also a lot of sign language, and I think that that's where I started to draw more too, because it was a more immediate way to connect. Like it was you know Pictionary, like you just draw a thing and then yeah. wow, well, okay, yeah, I understand. You know, whereas like trying to mime something, it was just it just seemed too ridiculous. So I think yeah, I just started <laughs> drawing a lot, and then also most of the time in the beginning of the the school. They kind of put you into Esau, uh, English as a second language, and and you know they try to as a transitional kind of thing. Sure. So you don't go to like regular English or, or history, I guess. Also, so the the rest missed a lot of that, I guess, which is kind of funny. Like you miss uh, if sometimes people are on a long track, and I remember I tried to get the hell out of Esau as soon as possible, just thinking like. I don't. I just didn't like the feeling like I'm not quite in the game. Like you know, sure. like in the kitty box. I'm like, come on, let me in there. You know, like, figure it out. Just this is not working. Like I don't want to keep saying Apple. Apple. Like just it was too basic, and it just kept basic. And Esau, a teacher, she was very nice, and I remember I just, I just talked her into it. She's like, I don't think you're ready. You could just, I'm ready. Just let me out of here. It's like, all right, well, are you okay with me checking up on you? Like, just maybe once a week, I'll just knock, you know, we'll, we'll have a little chat. I'm like, yeah, do whatever you feel you need to do to, to be comfortable with this. But yeah, just let me in there. And I think that that helped also adapt a lot quicker because like they, and then some of the friends from you were like, hey, don't do it, man. Don't do it. Once you leave, you can't come back here. Like, we have it pretty good. We just sit in the corner, say Apple every 15 minutes. You get to talk about whatever you want. You, what did dr- they speak? Were they all Russian speakers? Or? Uh, exactly. My Russian, actually, I knew it was pretty intermediate when I arrived, and then it, got, it developed a lot quicker than the English, you know, because, uh, yeah. We, yeah, we were just talking Russian. And the other kids, I had no way of communicating. So it was also kind of like I didn't exactly want to talk to Russians because as a kid, I knew, like, that's kind of like we've been trying to get these guys to leave. You know, like now I'm at this... Like they're right there. 
they're also leaving. I just, I didn't understand as a kid. I was just like, well, I can speak to them at least, you know? So I just kind of like, which I think was good. It helped me kind of just, they're people. You can't touch with any of these people at all? From way back then, I guess just like you see them on Facebook kind of like, but but just fell out because I guess a lot of, well, what happens is, uh, so basically that was like the first kind of separate, like, uh, I remember the kids that stayed and then I, I tried to leave along with others. Like you, there was this schism in the, in the Esau class where it kind of like some people looked at the door and the others looked to the, you know, the corner with the window and just tried to stay. <laughs> and then the ones that looked to the door, you know, you, we got thrown into the classes. All of a sudden we're not spending, you know, several hours a day just speaking Russian and then you know speaking and that and then the accents stayed for all those kids like where we got thrown into regular classes like even like we I like I don't this this, the system is this makes no sense like (laughs) you throw a kid in there then and you know they don't understand you're not caught up you were somewhere else for a whole year and then you're obviously going to fail so there's a lot of failing and then catch balancing out but I remember like I had to catch up. So it's it like sounds it treacherous, for sure. Yeah. It sucked. <laughs> but I survived. I just I was like, I gotta survive this thing. Just make it to college. What, what did you think of the of the of your classmates, the English speaking classmates? I mean well, their backgrounds are so different than yours. The, yeah, exactly. I mean I guess I I guess I just I, I didn't think much about like I don't remember much of the, the kids because there was no way to interact. There was like no shared experience. And because it was at such a young age, they basically the they kind of looked at me as like you're different, and we're not. And it's e- it's just easier, I think, as a yeah, kid yeah. to just go into your little groups. That's why the Esau kids were like, dude, just stay here. What the fuck? Like we just speak Russian all day. They can speak their English all day. But I kind of knew like what well, time is passing, you know. Like either I catch up and I put in that effort now, or I just or what? Like just stay here forever? Like what the yeah, maybe, maybe there's some Russian language enclave which you would, you know, stay in for. And year. people did, you know, and then, and that was like another thing, like with the art thing. It's just like I knew that that was not a life for me, so it was very easy to just let. It was no hard feelings or whatever, but just say, all right, guys, you know, you enjoy your your life. You've made your decision. I've made a different one, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they just obviously college didn't happen you know because the English the language skills didn't happen for a lot of those guys but but yeah. I don't know I guess technical schools and just kind of there's that but there's the whole network that can catch you you don't have that the thing is you don't need to learn English you don't like there's you know the immigrant community has enough like roles for you to fill I guess that yeah. you can kind of yeah. you know survive or just like illegal labor. And you, you left <laughs> and, and tapped into the, the, the huge <coughs> flow of, of art economy that uh, the United States offers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, boy, that's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just... Is I guess I didn't... It wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to be an artist. But uh, first it was just like, let me. I just wanted to see what 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 this game is more or less have to offer. So I was like, yeah, like, you entered the school and you're saying what was... Um, impression of the American kids and I was was kind of like nobody was interested where I was from like I remember people just tried to generalize like it sounded Russian the accent sounded Russian so like oh you're just Russian I'm like I'm not Russian and I'm like that you gotta if we're gonna have a friendship like you gotta figure this out and get it get it straight the first initial reaction I was pissed I was like man you don't know where I'm from you don't give a shit and uh, you know you think I'm Russian 
But then I just like in the class because I didn't know English like for uh, and I didn't know how to speak. I just was kind of taking it in for I think a year up until like two years until I was kind of participating, you know. Yeah. So for those two years, I was just observing, and I'm just you know so seeing the people interacting and, and just doing the exact same ki- thing that the kids were doing in in Lithuania, like that I was doing in the class, and I was just seeing like. The kid, I was also a lot more like as, in Lithuania. I was growing up as like social, like kind of mischievous, being like slightly the ring, you know, ringleader, and I was like, just kind of like always trying to stay out of trouble and you know just have fun, but like getting fireworks, shooting off fireworks, I don't know, <laughs> just doing wacky things and being able to through you know language and excitement convince other kids like, hey, come on, you know, let's have it, like, hey, just and I was able to rile people up, and when I got here, I I lost that ability. Yeah. And I think, you know, until the language came, it took a really long time to actually become, like, social again. Because for so many years, I got used to just being quiet. And yeah. I think it, my brain might have changed or something probably happened, like, neurologically, if you just sit there quietly for two years. You, you know, like, I don't think I'm necessarily a shy, quiet person. Uh-huh. But the whole experience and the inability to just, like, learn how to, like, this, like, there was no ability, you know, to speak. Like, other than Russian kids or just stay silent or draw so I think it, I kind of went more into my mind you know uh, imagination and yeah. and the 2D kind it was of. something I didn't learn until much later I was in my <laughs> mid-twenties and went to Alaska where I didn't know anybody then I realized like oh your, your person who you are your identity is so much shaped by the people around you and right. who they let you be and if you uh, go to a place where people don't know you at all then you can't be the person who you think you are as you're exactly. building your identity yeah you can't uh, if you want to be you could try, you have to put the work into it all like bring that in, but you can never i guess my i saw my parents to try to do that but you can't like i mean it's going to be a different like a retelling of the story like yeah. you can never so it's yeah it's a it's an interesting problem like, it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to know how exactly to handle that i mean i guess people like that they just you get to reinvent yourself kind of thing i always found it very exhausting like there's some people that enjoy moving and shape shifting yeah and I just always found it kind of exhausting, I guess. Also, because a lot of the best qualities of people, it takes time for uh, other people to see that you're like they can trust you, you know. And there's like this whole like testing th- uh, stage that happens that really frustrates me. Yeah, kinda, yeah. Like, just kind of like I'm not gonna do anything malicious. Can we just be friends or? But you know, you can't like also like if somebody is a little too eager. I don't trust them either. So there's these dynamics that you kind of like, I understand them, I respect them, and, you know, I also go through those motions because it's, it's, it's worth it, you know. Yeah. But I don't want to do it every year. <laughs> I really don't. When I get to a new job, like, I'm naturally somewhat talkative and communicative, but I realize, like, I really have to hold back and find out what the dynamic is. Like, I don't want to be best friends with the person everybody in the office hates exactly yeah you don't you know? want to reveal too much right yeah. so you got to step back and find where your place might be in this new group stay silent actually <laughs> well that's what i learned actually you know I, you, instead of just jumping into a situation which i think would have been my instinct and it's still this you know to somewhat but like just kind of like now i have cultivated just step in take a look around like what is happening like if i wasn't here what would the dynamics be you know and then that also like is is hyper is as fast forward at the whole you know coffee shop thing like being a barista for so many years is all like every you know you pretty much like every couple of years you switch cafes and it's the same thing happens it's just like all right what's what are the state of things here who's the alpha here what is, 
part of the dynamics. We do not want to piss off. You know, who's going to try to walk over you? And you have to be like, no. Yeah. Too many workplaces I know. Like, who's mentally ill here? And, and, right, and, yeah. and, and brings that to work with them. There is at least one every. <laughs> you negotiate your way from from high school to, to art school well I guess yeah I let go of the whole idea that I was going to be an architect pretty late well I started painting in 10th grade I was drawing like my whole life yeah. always drawing doing line drawings illustrating dreams just I always thought of it more as a just like a, a writing or a documenting not as like art, artistic expression since then my view has changed I love drawing you know still this I'm a little more conscious, I guess, of what's happening now. It used to be more automatic. So I was always drawing, then I started painting. Painting kind of started going well, and it just it was this new world that kind of opened up, you know, and, uh, that at first kind of seemed hard and frustrating, but then once I, you know, just got the, the, the mechanics of it started to work, I kind of saw the possibility, like, oh my God, like, this, this, is, this is like an endless thing. I could do this every day. I was like, why don't I just do this every day? You know, it's a, and then, then I was this awkward kind of situation where I thought I'll like this art making, but it's more of like a spiritual kind of practice. That, you know, it's more of a self discovery, so it feels too personal to show or something. You know, so I thought like I'll just do this on the side and I'll be like an architect or a graphic designer because that's yeah. what you have to do, right? I mean, that's what. Yeah, well, like this, I just thought, like, how do I not end up homeless, you know? <laughs> but then I was just like, whatever, I'll just get some kind of job. I'm not. Well, what, what really determined it is, that, uh, I went to Chad, the Charter uh, uh, High School for Architecture and Design, Seventh and Sansom, and so they they have, you know, I thought I was going to be a little architect, so obviously I should go to this this Charter High School for Architecture, um, and I transferred then out of the Northeast. Uh, from George Washington High, like I did uh, ninth grade there, so still in the immigrant microcosm kind of thing. And then the first time I really stepped out was tenth grade, and I uh, started hanging out downtown like every day, which opened a lot of also new things. So I started doing the fine arts thing, and to enjoy that more than like model making, you know, or just precision, because I kind of like what happens when you like. I think I, I enjoy this what we call mistakes. You know, I'm a little more into that than rather than this. Eliminate mistakes, straight line. You know, like that's not me. Like, I don't know why have I. Because I thought I couldn't be anything, you know, but this thing. I was like, I think I can. I think I'm just not going to be an architect and I'll do this. And just, you know, going to that high school helped kind of shape it because it just very honestly showed you what, archit like, what architecture is about. If you were to go to college, graduate, and get, go into the field, it, uh, this is what your day-to-day -day would look like. Well, I, I would imagine, too, there's probably some hard mechanical skills that only, <laughs> to learn them there would only help you as a, as a you know, a fine artist. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's nice to know how to construct to use... a building within your painting, you know. Right, I started to take those skills and just apply them to, to my paintings, you know, so... So, I'm, yeah, no regrets, I'm happy I went to the high school. I just said, yeah, took the skills and 
refocused. And there's also a couple of teachers there that were kind of like, I don't think you are. <laughs> I was like, really? Just think on it. Like, all right, all right. It's nice when a teacher takes it takes the, the, the yeah. time to see you exactly and right. re- recognize what's going on. Yeah, because because you can be clueless as a kid. You exactly, know? and it just takes that one moment. You look them in the eyes and you're like, all right, they're being honest. Let me just think about this, you know. And you get a perspective that like that's you, you didn't know. You kind of you trust the whole adult thing, you know. So like you've been told certain things, so you just hold into consideration those things, and you're trying to make you know solid decision. Like nobody has bad intentions, I don't think. Yeah. Or very few people. So you're always trying to gauge the, the you know what's the best thing to do based on what you know. And a lot of times I think people just stay silent because like ah bother, let me not scramble this kid's head. His parents would be pissed. So easily could have just been like opportunity missed, and all of a sudden you know, years later I'm like at the table like oh, fuck <laughs> why. Uh, interview I did when early on on the Fun to Know podcast with Al Farrow, the sculptor. He talked about, uh, you know, doing all sorts of mechanical work for the, the city of New York. Yeah, I remember, yeah. It was, it was yeah, cool. before, before he, he found a, another path for himself. Yeah, I don't remember. He, did, he did, probably didn't regret it either because I think oh, be no, a, not, in no. retrospect, nothing is, is a waste. Yeah, well, find I mean, a way to yeah. make it work. He did, doing sculptures, he needed to have well, all that mechanical, he needed to know how to, to, to you know, support them. So you went to a school here in Philadelphia? Oh yeah, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. What's what's the character of the Philadelphia Academy? Of well, uh, well, it's like a very traditional, I guess, uh, school, and uh, at, at the time was a lot smaller than it is now. And it was also a more diverse uh, student body, even though it was a smaller. You just, I felt like that's the school to get. The, you know the skills that I wanted to I guess because it, it, I felt new at the painting thing I started when I was in 10th grade so I you know by the time you're apply, like what three years went by I didn't exactly feel like I mastered it yet but it's definitely something I, I knew I was, wanted to pursue kind of get it down and then just do it so I didn't want to paint in the academic way but I knew like if you're a musician you need to learn how to read music you know learn your instrument and then he respected education enough to know that it yeah it, exactly it was exactly, going to exactly. pay off in some way right because I just kind of understood that it, the more I knew the, the more possible combinations there would be for me to think of you know just yeah. like a, like in a chess kind of way like if you know if if you have you know that many different like you know you have checkers and you have chess you know there's only so many possible moves and variations with, with checkers and we've since then I've realized that they're limited and you know I didn't want to end up in a checker game and just like when I'm 40 run out of moves you know and think fuck you know what, what now kill myself like I got nothing so it's like okay I don't want to play a checker game because I kind of you know, as a kid was thinking what kind of life do I you know want to have because these revolutions all this thing was happening a lot of the adults that, that I saw as a kid growing up were having like intense identity crisis just freaking out you know, so I thought, like, what would survive? What's irrelevant? What's it doesn't uh, depend on a system? Like, there's art. Art is universal. You know, every every culture has some kind of a, a way of expressing, and through time, like I remember you, you, as a kid loving all this ancient art, like Egyptian, uh, you know, uh, artifacts and sculptures, and uh, 
yeah. early civilization just the most those basic globular you know people I was like man this is so crazy like that so somebody just for, for, you know at the time at, when the first sculptures and uh, pieces of art were made there were no economies and you know giant cities and that I mean for all we know but the assumption is that they kind of started you know more basic like yeah. none of this was kind of there but the need it's like I think because well, it goes back to communication when I couldn't speak it's just like you draw a picture yeah and somebody that doesn't speak the same language for some reason understands that picture you know yeah that's crazy <laughs> your, your communication depended on the, on the skill it's no surprise that you fine tune that skill a yeah you valued it the yeah. other ones yeah so what, what, what were the other students like at, at art school did you enjoy uh, going to art school yeah because I guess I felt so natural in the way that I was kind of approaching it I just thought you know that's that everybody there would be also at ease like I just thought it would but like obviously not you know art school is is, is a very emotional like it's not a very, it's not a chill place good, I always but, enjoy, enjoy hearing stories about the critiques that you <laughs> that have been gone through right the criti- I mean you hear I mean, the experience yeah it's it's, it's it's a whole range a whole range because you know people of ideas I guess you put a bunch of neurotic people full of ideas and it just multiplies and explodes and it's awesome, but uh, it's it seemed people were looking for personas, were looking for roles to fill. Kind of like found high school so frustrating because I just thought like I just want to make this art, like I just want this high school thing to just be over, this frame, this this constraint. Because once this goes away, I'm still just gonna do what I do, and then there won't be anyone over me. Like I've changed zero I think I feel as a child like who I am at the core like I'm the same kid I just want to make art and I'm just I wake up with that intention just like stretch a little make breakfast and go make art you know it's it's that simple and that's just the only thing that's changed is people stop saying don't or do something else like I just it's you know what I mean there's a lot lot of nice plants that don't disagree nothing it's just it's fine Years ago, I was in my 30s, I think, and still single. I was with a friend, and uh, we were back at my parents' house, and they found my diary when I was about nine years old. And uh, my Sunday diary was I went to a friend's house and listened to records. I came home and watched a movie on TV, and I think I like Lisa S., and uh, he, he looked at me and said, Dan, this really doesn't sound any different than a Sunday uh, afternoon uh, with you today. Good. I, I was uh, surprised. That's very good. <laughs> Probably why I like you. You haven't compromised the inner child. Because I kind of remember this vague moment of making a promise to, to my younger self. Like, I will, I think, this is a moment, I think I was laying down in bed. I was like, I think I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. I think, yeah. I think I'm all right. I think the whole the whole God thing, going back to it earlier, like once I was introduced to the Bible, I think I was like nine, or around that age, so it could be anywhere from eight to ten, let's say, you know, or maybe even younger, probably probably younger. I mean, I don't know, the uncle is cool, we get along, he was always, he was around, obviously, for when I was younger. I don't know when he decided to be like, let me try to read the Bible to you, you know, <laughs> starting from the Old Testament and... And I just remember asking way too many questions as he's reading, like, excuse me, hold on, what? Like, why? What? Just, it, it didn't make enough sense. I asked too many questions. He basically said, you can go play outside. <laughs> and then I told the whole family, I think when I was about, like, nine, that I don't, you know, I, I don't believe in God. I think it's, 
And they were very polite. Grandma was just like, you'll find God in your time. It's okay. We just, just be patient. <laughs> but I don't know. So I just say I saw all these adults, you know, talking about God, Bibles, and things. And I was like, what are you talking about? You guys don't know anything. you talk about promises you made or as a kid as to yourself a, yeah. uh you know that's that's definitely a memory of mine as well but uh, for me uh, the conflict i really felt it was like wow people were really asking me to be less sensitive or whatever you know like i really felt the sense that they're trying to kill uh, yeah, enthusiasm kind of what, or what they labeled as weakness yeah and, and enthusiasm was what was it labeled as weakness at a certain yeah. point and, and i i kind of knew instinctually like i think my enthusiasm's probably what's going to get me through this like i don't want to uh not care about everything and accept the most cynical uh yeah idea of what life is and uh i remember that pressure to do that especially as a male i think mm-hmm. what's well, you know in the male society the the other males see it uh, upon themselves as being like the law that has to then pass down the code or whatever it's just like fuck man let it go as a kid you're just thinking that if you let it go if you just let it go nothing bad would happen yeah. In fact, like this is yeah, it's bizarre. It's like an act of um, there's so much effort into suppressing, you know, and you can't suppress if you put energy into you know trying to hold something down in 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 the one direction. It's just gonna come up like you know whack a mole in another. So you could just save your energy and do whatever you want with it and let the moles go up and you know do their own thing. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I, I grew up in a place that didn't have a lot of uh, variations of roles. You know, it was a small town with a, a factory and a, and a nuclear plant nearby. They employed everybody, and uh, that was, uh, for a lot of people, the range of ambitions. That's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was, the, like, your first kind of archetype or image of a way out? Like, when you were in that world growing up, what was the I, first, like, I, remember, I don't have to be... Or, like, I, I can get out of here through there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot i mean it was really through art you know it had to be through uh music and film and, and books you know i remember you know filling my library court but i remember at a very young age like thinking like what if i just you know went out on the road and went over the ben frank or the delaware memorial bridge and just kept going like where where would i end up and uh, you know and, and it, it it seemed incredibly enticing and and there was a whole narrative in the town of like you'll never get out of here these called the pennsville bungee cord you you'll you'll run out but then the elastic will snap you back well i think that just goes to the social nature of people you know like for better or for worse you if you grow up in a, a certain kind of community it is your community and you feel if you have empathy and you have emotion you know if you're a functioning human you're you'll have those urges to go back to, to something. You'll yeah. have the memories, which will trigger thoughts. Like, it's it's fine. It's just, yeah, how do you deal with it? Michael Powell, the British filmmaker, when it, I think it's his first film, um, Edge of the World, about uh, people who live in the islands, I think, off of Wales. One of the uh, lifelong friends, he's, you know, in his early 20s or something, wants to leave the island, and the island's desperately trying to stay alive by keeping the young people on the island, and you 
see their their point they're trying to preserve their way of life and yet the men are feeling uh you know drawn away and and uh, how personal the idea of leaving the community is uh, is uh, you know incredibly strong well talk about identity and uh what that lithuania is is a good that's like a good metaphor for what's happening there you know because uh just to keep up the the language and not to get an accent when i speak I, I listen to you know the news and now tv i guess is what he says, Still mostly listen to the radio in Lithuania. In Lithuania, yeah, yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess I just like always got used to listening to the crappy radio stations and just like I like the nostalgia of that. So I still don't watch like I could be watching just the regular old TV in Lithuanian, you know, like but no, it's radio. <laughs> but they're always like the main topic is you you know it's always what's well, lots of depressing topics, but it's just like you know the economy, the economy, the economy, and then. Uh, they kind of just blame it on the you know the exiles like everyone's leaving so how are we how's the economy gonna improve if there's like no young people to, to do anything if it's like if, you know, if there's no jobs for those young people to begin with yeah. it's yeah it's kind of but uh, so all, basically when I was there this summer in the grandparents town which like I was saying um, through EU funding has now this beautiful you know, walkway, everything's good. The streets are fixed up. There's three supermarkets, <laughs> which are now empty. Just, uh, we, they, I don't think they needed one, you know. They just needed... <laughs> there's a market that still happens that's been happening probably forever, you know. And people are like the old people are still used to just like, go down to the river. And it's a much nicer experience to walk to the river and, yeah. and you know, and, and shop like that instead of going to some... But whatever. So there's three, you know, markets. Um, I used to love as a kid, and just going back in the summers to revisit, you know, my childhood and walk down this path that's been there forever. And then um, at the end of like the official path, it's just uh, kind of more like into the wilderness. There's three. It would be used to be three dirt paths, like you know, very thin, like walk, just walking paths. <laughs> one goes up the hill, and then one right by the river, and then another one just kind of weaving through the middle. Now, like EU, EU funding has built a nice bike uh, path, with, oh, like, really? little benches, but and I see all the kids are just like jogging with the, you know headphones in there or just biking, like looking all cool. And the other two paths just disappeared because they're not being walked. Like I tried to find the like you get a really you used to get a really nice view if you got up this hill and you see the, like the whole river because it's pretty flat there. Like it's one of the few hills, you know, and there'd be a nice little path. Now it's just, just ivies and bushes, and that. so it started chopping it down. I'm like, the road must be somewhere here. It's just gone. <laughs> Time. <laughs> uh, it's changing so fast. What What was your uh, experience like there, going back this past summer? It was, I don't know. It was just a lot to digest, I guess. It seems like. Uh, it got you know I got like a facelift or something, but it seems just uh, superficial. Like it looks better, right? Like that was a that was a very immediate like recognizable like the place just looks. Different. When when did it join the EU? In two thousand five. Two thousand five. So, okay. Um, so it's been uh, eleven years now in, in you know a decade. So in that decade, you know Greece, look at what happened. You know this like, you could that could have happened. Other, you know, scenarios could have happened. I think relatively to what's happening, it's doing okay, I guess. There's no any, you know, crazy economic down. 
things aren't as good enough basically for people yeah. to be happy but they're you know they're on an they're improving you know on a positive slope what, what, what is the economic product of Lithuania really? um, just mostly agriculture I think now it's IT and uh, and food like uh, one of the largest producers of you know organic cheese and milk and <laughs> yeah dairy, ship a lot of food to Germany I guess and uh, and Russia. So. And anytime like you know some kind of political thing happens where we disagree with Russia, they they'll stop cheese imports for about a, a month or a week or something. But since it's such a that, huge that country gets, gets and they buy so much cheese and the cheese just goes bad, you know, so they just do it and it goes bad and they're like now we'll buy the cheese. And when I was there from 08 to 09, um, there was the, the whole Olympics happening, and on the Olympics, when it's supposed to be, you know, the day of peace or whatever, in like one day, war with Russia invades Georgia. Uh, you know, and, and uh, so Lithuania was one of the first, I guess, uh, out of the Eastern you know, countries to speak up internationally and try to get attention to it. So as punishment, they uh, raised gas prices 50% you know during winter so wow. in a cold place it makes a difference yeah so since then in those 10 years i guess uh those kind of those kinds of uh, you know aggressive uh, you know like backhanded kind of things uh motivated politicians i guess to at least number one to like solve that kind of problem so they spent a lot of uh, time and money just to finding ways to get gas from just natural resources from anyone but Russia. So I think they built some kind of thing on the news, some kind of ship that transports gas, I think now natural gas from Sweden, mm -hmm. other places, so. Yeah, I think Sweden has their own fracking program that goes on there, yeah. Can't remember, but I think they were gonna build some kind of uh, underground uh, tube to transfer. Pipelines, yeah. Pipelines, yeah, exactly. So. So that's good. I mean, yeah, as far as from that perspective, it's slightly more energy independent from Russia, you know, but now just more dependent. On, it's always dependent on one or the other, east or west, always historically just flopping back and forth. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a weird... Uh, it's a weird identity for a country to have anyway because they're always kind of like waiting for invasion you know like now we're learning english because we're with the west then russia will invade and then we'll learn russian again then the west will come and you know yeah so they they're just kind of something we're unfamiliar with the united states but a lot of countries have you know long histories of being conquered back and forth by all sorts of uh, other influences yeah yeah, all the neighbors have tried taking us over. So, and I guess that's why you know now it's also like kind of a depressive mood because like the older generation is like, look how hard for centuries we have fought and tried, and now you're just leaving to dance and play with skateboards and shit, you fuckers, and listen to electronic music. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're pissed.
let's talk a little about your your work, which uh, has a lot of you know underlying politics and class and you know uh, hierarchy uh, portrayed in it. I guess yeah, the same things that bother me day to day, you know, end up in the, in the in the paintings, and that was the real struggle, I guess, in art school was finding a way. I guess uh, to make that process work a little better, just uh, with the the things I care about, just as as a human being, it shouldn't be any different than a you know as an artist. And I feel like in high school that those kind of things came out naturally, and in some ways a little like too too weird. Like art school was good to kind of to step outside of that very personal world and, and get better at, at just practicing seeing it from uh, uh, you know a, a viewer's point of view just like you know it's, I'm not necessarily like, I am making it you know my motivations might be very personal and whatnot but you know as I aged and I became a more aware individual like as you know I'm aware of my actions I kind of you know, it's like you and you grow up, you get the moral compass. You you kind of begin, you know, to act more respectfully for you know for certain reasons. And then so I thought like, well, the art was seemed kind of careless, I guess. So for a while, I was just doing abstract paintings because I I liked it, and you know for different reasons. Like at the time, it just didn't make sense, I guess, to do anything other than abstraction. Yeah, I can I can imagine almost as is. is uh you know, clearing clearing the table or whatever, you know. Exactly, exactly. Because it was actually the... I, I realized that was the hardest thing for me to do. Because, okay. the, the, you know, as, as I said, I was drawing my whole life. Which drawing... It's... You know, you, you, the line feels like writing. So that you, you feel like you're describing something and you're generally trying to describe something. And like I said, at first it started with basic... The urge was to communicate like you know drawing little pictionary things and then out of that I realized like certain little characters kind of developed and then I just started to play with those characters on the edge of the of the paper at school you know just like and that became more important than the bigger you know part of the paper with the homework or whatever the hell was going on in class I was just like oh these edges the binders are growing and wow it's this weird chicken I keep drawing let me try to make it better you know (laughs) and then it just kept growing and growing and growing it was a very descriptive kind of world so when I picked up painting like I I was already just mostly illustrating my dreams and like dream world um, so it just kind of became colored in when the painting started and then when I when I got to you know art school is everybody there was very aware of you know, the, like their image, I guess, or what the what the message was. Like they, you know, like this is who I am. This is what my outfit says. You know, and then this, my, this is my auteurist theme. Right. Yeah. Everybody already had one. I was like, what the hell? You haven't. You've made no work, but you already <laughs> have that. And I was kind of, you know, it felt like people had the approach of I will sit down. Uh, the first thing I will do, I was I will buy a pen, and then the second thing I'll do, I'll buy a piece of paper, and then I'll just think of a manifesto and then before the manifesto I will make nothing yeah you know and so a lot of people like they made stuff but it just felt like what the fuck come on guys get to work I found and out I found out myself as a writer that I would think like now it's my writing time I'm gonna sit down and, and start you know spilling yeah. out the words and I realized like no I really need to do the thinking time first and really know what my ideas are that I'm going to write and then I gotta sit down and, and write you know but that thinking time was 
important and, and couldn't be you know spared otherwise. Exactly, exactly. A lot of writing, it and looks like you're doing nothing. Exactly. Well, when I approached, when I got to art school, I didn't appreciate that because my whole approach, or like I entered it from just like just throw myself in there, kind of start, trust the process, figure it out. And, and it was easy because the process was dream, so it was already kind of very vague and whatever, you know, but in painting the same as in conversation, nobody wants to hear your dreams. Like, it's boring. And, and, and I, once I understood it, I, got, I was like, you know what? It's, it's so tr- I don't want to paint another fucking painting ever again. It's just stupid. So then I, I remember I just kind of went to class, and I, it was actually very healthy. Because I was like, let me just get the technique down. Like, I have no manifesto. So I think I just, and I, I just tried to put in as many hours into the, just the working with it. Just work, figure it out, then the art will happen. Kind of like with chess, like you can't just sit down next to a grandmaster and be like, come on, man, let's go play a game. Enjoy yourself, you know, like, you know, what the fuck? Like, you're just going to frustrate him because he's going to explain, or her, because they'll have to explain the rules and, you know, da, 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 and then you'll lose and then go so it's like that's kind of how I saw it. Like, I don't know the rules. I don't know how this stuff works because I can look at a piece in a museum and say, "Wow!" Like I, I can, I can look at it, and I remember a point where I didn't. I would look at a thing and just be dumbfounded. Like how? Like what were the physical actions that made this thing come together? You know. And at some point, I don't know when it happened, but I went to a museum. I looked at a painting, and I could just, without trying, can see myself as that painter. Like where I, I would. What kind of color do you? What he put down, or he, him or her put down first? What layer? You know. You understand how, the decisions that are exactly, made. Exactly, it all just unfolded naturally. I wouldn't, it didn't, it didn't even have to, you know, try. It just kind of like made sense. And, but I knew that, at some, you know, at some point it didn't, and I was, I guess, kind of humble. So it's just like I didn't pretend to have some grand vision. Like I just got there. I was like, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like some people are a little over obsessed with the vision. But I recognized, you know, that's something to work on. So then, as I was going to classes and kind of doing, I was thinking like, all right, well, what makes sense? And I thought, well, like, abstraction for whatever reason. It's just let's start with with that, because I thought, you know, if it has to make sense as an abstract piece, and then you can put in a story into it. Yeah, it's the beginnings of composition. You know, the the composition is sparest. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to offend any abstract painters. I'm walking on very delicate <laughs> ground here. You know. It's spiritual and deep. And I felt that way too, but I don't know. I, I guess I, I enjoyed abstraction. I kind of looked at it in the beginning, I guess, as a, it's like an exercise in letting go of, of you know, because like I said, I was like so relying reliant on a, a representation because by the by the time I got to, in the whole thing, you know, to apply to art school, you have to do a lot of representational drawings, you know, boring drawings of chairs, uh, bicycles, still life setups that are accurate. So there's a lot of measuring, and so you're forcing and exercising those kinds of things. And then once those become natural, it becomes most unnatural to just let go. Exactly. It's so ab- almost like a muscle memory of how to draw right. a hand or whatever and right. to, uh, to go into abstraction is to let go of all those. Uh, exactly. Those muscle memories start getting in the way. Like that becomes the obstacle. So I thought, okay, I got to get this out of the way you know, and then, then I can make paintings. But uh, so it, I enjoyed it. I was definitely, it felt like, you know, like poetry, I guess, kind of like very, because like it's all metaphors. You know, what you're seeing it could be this, it could be that. No one's really wrong. No one's really right. It was very hard to talk about painting, I guess. 
like now I can you know you look at a piece I can describe some things I can say where, like where this idea I can point to specific ideas whereas like I don't, when I was doing the abstract paintings it, what, there were no specific ideas it was like a mental flow pro and all there is is that residue <laughs> to just show you that it happened but like what happened I don't know what happened I have no idea you have no one has any idea what it, there's this evidence for it though so we know that it happened <laughs> to describe abstract painting as a residue it's <laughs> worth an idea <laughs> worth the worth the savoring I, I kind of see it as that I mean I don't know and then the last time I did uh, get the abstract paintings, I just like looked at them on a wall one day, and it just all looked like candy. I'm just making candy, <laughs> just you know, eye candy. Kind of, you look at it, you can't really disagree with it, but it's like uh, this. Then I, was, I thought, okay, now there's time to start thinking about the message. I feel like I figured out the whole color relationships and other things. That you know, now it's time to think about what would be this message that you know what am I trying to say and then that was another struggle for about I guess two years or so just trying to yeah. navigate it and then what like with everything once you stop trying once you stop <laughs> forcing things just kind of come out and uh, yeah I think once I reached the point of total frustration like what's my grand idea I don't fucking know <laughs> just, just just kind of gave up. I said, just, just fuck it. I don't care. I'll. I think that's when I refo and I pretended like I was gonna be a jeweler and I made jewelry for a while. Uh, that's that's later. That's all those uh, small sculptures like that one happened. It's on the website, but just happened in the jar. Small sculpture of. Uh, it looks like a, a skull face that's jeweled, maybe with a uh, iPad. With an iPad in front of me, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we were just talking earlier about uh, everybody sort of being frozen in time, you know, uh, enamored with their uh, their phones and their screens. Yeah, that's kind of what this is. I was just like hanging out, you know, while observing people and just, it was a very kind of simple idea, but yeah, I made this thing. And then, so I made the, the, some jewelry and then realized that obviously I don't want to be a jeweler. <laughs> what the hell am I doing? <laughs> started making these sculptures just to kind of have some fun and then started getting just I was like oh, I kind of want to do some painting again too you know like in the vein I guess of these sculptures because they kind of started I didn't think about them too much so those characters that have been evolving through you know my whole life that I've been like doodling or sculpting through clay yeah sort of extended reoccurring yeah but they just showed up in a, in a different I guess through that academic lens like you can't erase like the proportions you learn so it just like it's the same thing but it looks better I'm like oh this just looks better now like that so then I started to try to, to to paint it somehow and then so I made like some awkward paintings but then in those awkward paintings I thought like hmm if I just focus on like presenting an idea in this way and like so just like just kind of creating guidelines for for myself kind of thinking like all right well like a chess game has rules you know like for better or for worse like each artist like in that art school had like their manifesto you know and i just thought like well there are no the whole time i kept saying like stop being so arrogant there are no right ideas like you're not right but they're not wrong either you know so i said like, what the fuck does that mean you know so like 
I'm just the one nihilist walking around thinking there's nothing, there's nothing. And that's why I have, you know, like no basis because I'm the, you know, the nihilist here. Like they might not have the ultimate answer, but it's not about that. You know, they just need an answer for themselves. I need an answer for myself. You need an aesthetic, aesthetic you can build something on. Right. Exactly. And that relates. That yeah it would make sense for me to build like exactly, I was like what what do I what kind of world do I want to build you know and it's maybe it's not a world that I want to build it's like how can I make an extension of myself rather you know how yeah. can I just let it get out instead of trying to filter it too much I think in in uh, art school kind of made me a little too self conscious for to, for things to just flow out you know and then. Because sometimes it just needs to happen for you to then have it in the real world to be able to look at it and criticize it. Sometimes when it's in your mind, it can it could seem better than it is, you know? Like a lot of things, in re- like in memories and things, like sometimes you just have to, you have an idea and then you just literally have to try to make it and then say, is this a good idea or not? <laughs> and it's much easier to do that once it's out. So I kind of... Do all four legs of this chair hit the ground? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know? And uh, so being a little like too too self-critical prevented a lot of things to uh, from actually just coming out, and then I, I couldn't get to the next level. Did you feel like you had a support system that made you confident of your of your work as an artist? Is uh... people always kind of like uh, I th- I feel like yeah definitely you know but I didn't I guess it, you know, I, I didn't feel that way so it didn't matter yeah people were like oh it's good or like well people mostly like the abstract stuff and I've never sold that many and then since then I've never sold so little <laughs> you know then so people love abstraction like people can just walk because they don't you can't disagree with an abstract painting you know because it's what is it? Nobody knows. It's that place. <laughs> it's a perfect know. representation of whatever the artist was yeah. trying to do, as far as we can tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> All we have is the residue. No evidence. That's the only thing. Yeah, it's like one clue, and you're like, I don't know. But you saw a lot of abstract stuff, huh? Not. I mean, it's the ratio. People definitely like. You know, it was, it was mostly through Paffle, like the shows they had. But like, it was just like you know, some people. It's like once I once I changed, things stopped selling. <laughs> People always enjoyed. It. I guess there's more like discussion that happens. I like my work better now. I don't care that it doesn't sell. Also, I'm not too good at selling it either. You know, because yeah. I I think right now I'm focused on just you know you just uh, kind of like uh, tr- trusting the process, letting them unfold, just letting it kind of happen and you, you, the kind of mental space and environment that I need to be in to, to make this kind of work is not of uh, how can I market it how can I sell it and you know and uh, it's a different completely different world you have to go into and it's a different set of skills and you know some people can do both but I'm okay, like I said like I'm, I'm okay with being dirt poor at least for now because the reward of staying in that world 24 hours a day is, 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 is a lot more gratifying than, you know, having some cash. Because I can, I've also had, you know, 
there have been times in my life where I could just reach into a drawer, get some cash, go and have some fun. You know, get drunk, get party. Like it, it didn't matter. Like just like uh, as much fun as I want to have, and like, and just. But that became so boring, I guess, after a while. So empty too. It's like you know, if after a while, like that, you strive for that like fun, going out, you know, going crazy because it's like a release. You know, it's only gratifying if you actually do some kind of work, if you actually experience and feel some kind of stress or work. Like, if, you, if your body gets tense, then the release will obviously send, you know, a, yeah. a positive reward to your brain. If you're just always like, oh, I'm having a great time. Another round, yay, woohoo, blue sky. Like, I'm bored, you know? Yeah. That stops being fun, too. Tell me about the paintings you're making now. They're they're beautiful. I was upstairs looking uh, uh, through the studio, and they're they're very uh, uh, built on landscapes. And there's there's uh, seems to be you know a sort of status and hierarchy being explored through uh, through most of them. I guess I'm uh, you know because of art school, uh, I kind of am aware of the history painting thing. You know, well also like. Once you learn some things, you can't ignore it. So, like, I'm, I'm happy I know the art history, and, I, and now I'm aware of how other people will view, you know, the work. So I, you can play with that more consciously. You can, so, put your, you can put it in a context. Exactly. So tried a lot of different things, and then I've just always kind of enjoyed what, you know, history painting kind of did, and, like, how today... It, Let's it, how talk about what history painting is. It has no... Well, not back in... The history painting, I mean, it's still alive. Like, it just... It feels like this, like, very old... Because... It was a much more grand, I guess. Uh, no, that doesn't. Is it a movement that, that from a certain? It's, no, it's not a movement. It's it's, it's a, st- a kind of like you know, there's still life uh, paint. It's a uh-huh. like a genre. Like so, you can you, history painting used to, you know, like leaders would commission things like say Napoleon went on some battle or like or or the coronations usually. So the history you know Napoleon getting crowned is like a famous history painting and uh but they always have this uh, you know grand goal to capture like, a moment that's almost it feels impossible like that he's like watching the crossing like okay fine like it's just like a guy on a boat but it's like encapsulating you know so much and like and you know that if you're gonna paint Washington crossing you know like uh, it's gonna be like you, as an artist you know all the connotations so it's, it's like a lot of pressure you know how do you what you put in there what you emit you know what, what that will mean and, and things like that but anyway that, all that aside so I thought I want to try to do uh, a history painting of you know like what through just my own personal lens so somebody let's say that grew up you know playing lots of video games you know the the two cultures so kind of like I'm already so what am I focused I'm focused on, on you know ways of living I guess and you know systems and how we socially interact the so, uh, structure hierarchy and, uh, and so, you're, how, so history painting kind of lends itself 
to that because it usually represents the state but usually it glorifies you know those things and then with uh, you know I'm thinking like as a modern example I guess Picasso's Guernica you know is also like an epic history painting and it's of a battle but then it's it's, it's a completely diff it's a different message saying you know it's not a good thing it's not you know no more but, or, or just showing it's it's uh, it's focused on the same topic, but sh revealing like the things that the other history paintings were omitting. You know, the the horror and the, and the yeah. negative kind of things. Like, no, 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 it's like this great, wonderful thing, and see, everything went well. And then he's just like, I don't know. There's also this side. An alternate telling. It's history. a shift of focus. So I'm thinking. Okay, so what based on the thing is that uh, my generation or people of, let's say, my age group here and throughout the you know western world they're focused on and it's like you you know I'm, i went from let's say the soviet system here but then i you know been bouncing around uh, lithuania and um you know western europe since then and it, you know like the people my age are pretty much the same all throughout the west like the west is just like because the internet i think kind of yeah Internet and, you know, video games and the whole digital thing just kind of... So I thought, okay, well, that's the dominant... Like, if you're going to make a history painting, it has to be about this, like, you're living in this... Through this digital lens and then this digital reality. Like, so what it... I did run across an artist statement online of your work where you talked about that, uh, you know, half of your generation is living in this dream world, this, yeah. you know, semi-shared dream world of, of screens and... Uh, you know all the places that people go on their screens where they where they don't travel in the the physical world and uh, i can see that leading into you know your ideas here right so that's yeah that's not like an early one that kind of where i started thinking about those things but uh, i'm still i've realized that's what i want to focus on how i'm going to represent that uh successfully will probably take a lifetime yeah. you know but like that's a i feel like hard enough thing to try to figure out how to, to, to show visually yeah you know because it means I have to build up a whole library of symbols first you know and then clarify associations between them and then use them successfully in an orchestrated you know it's, it's a lot and make it look good at the same time you know? <laughs> just this week I was watching uh, last week watching uh, Die Hard 3 with, with my son with, with, with <laughs> Bruce Willis but uh, him and Samuel Jackson uh, they're this terrorist plot is going to unfold if they don't know who the 34th president was or the 24th president was. And uh, as they were brainstorming, trying to imagine who that was, my son looked at me and said, is this a time before iPhones that they're they're living in? Like, yes. Yeah. You know? and, and to him, you know, it was like, this problem is easily solved. I'll just, you know. Right. And how the hell phone. do you paint that? Like, just think, I, was, I can remember a time where you'd be hanging out, let's say, you know, just, you're just sitting around with some friends daydreaming and you say I wonder well let's just say I don't know you, you just ate a pineapple and you're thinking I wonder if I could plant you know cut off the top of that pineapple plant it and would it grow and the other friend that sounds crazy eh, whatever fuck it and you forget about it where now you can just pull out your phone and all of a sudden you know now have that pineapple how to grow a pineapple yeah how to grow a pineapple you just know well I, I noticed from that, that to, to anything but and then I'm wondering where is the revolution I noticed the difference that, that, that seemed profound to me is uh, hanging out with uh, fellow movie buffs and, and sort of movie freaks who are younger than me and uh, 
I realized that they didn't really take the time to memorize all this sort of movie trivia and fact. Yeah, memory is completely external now. That I did, yeah, yeah. Because and for me, that that allowed me to play with that information and put things together. Where for them, like, why even keep that in your head if you need to know any of that stuff? It's being kept outside of your head. Right. uh, But then, exactly, you're not. It's not in your toolbox. You're not. It's out there, right? But you're not using it. Are you enjoying the uh, political landscape uh, in this? Uh, uh, it's freaking me out. Election season. I guess it's the beginning of the end, right? <laughs> I'm not sure how long towards the end we are necessarily. Yeah, I guess it's has been. It feels like it's been stretched out over a long period. Yeah. It's like a slow motion car crash. I remember really perplexing a Canadian I'm, friend uh, ten years ago saying, "I, I kind of feel like America has jumped the shark." Yeah, which is that expression about you know. Taking the, you ever heard this? This might not be your expression. Well, <laughs> it's based on a t- television series from the seventies called Happy Days. I can see where in Lithuania this yeah, would yeah, be at yeah, the top yeah. of your reviewing list. But um, very popular series starring Mr. Cool Fonzie, wore leather jacket, had his hair slicked back. I've seen back. some episodes later, but yeah, I was just like, well, well, uh, a few years into its phenomenon type phase, uh, after Jaws came out, they had Fonzie. On water skis, uh, on a dare, jumping over a killer shark. Oh, we're, we're, and uh, somehow in the last 10 years, this has become the shorthand for when a series is like turned no good, when it's made a turn that it can't turn back from. Oh, jumping the shark. And uh, yeah, jumping the shark, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, America jumping the shark was uh, seemed like a, a new idea in 2005 or in 2016. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more signs. Yeah. I guess I'm just dumbfounded. I mean, it's like when the when he just first said the whole thing about the Muslims and the, and I mean the whole range of offensive things. I just kind of thought, all right, well he just crossed like every acceptable line. I would feel there, like there used to said, be there used to be a point where it seemed like you were ushered out of of, of polite society, right? Yeah, that exactly. you could say something that would that you know you would be like, gone. <laughs> And I thought I thought he'd reached that in the like late nineties. Yes. I thought we'd had enough yeah. of uh, Donald Trump, but you know, ten years of, of uh, television exposure on his own reality TV show seems to have uh, normalized him yeah. in a troubling way. Yeah, he he had too much time to build up his his myth, you know, just like Hitler was like yelling in the in the bars, you know, but somebody should have shit his ass up right there. But you're like, I ah, just you know, don't bother, man. Let his let him yell. He'll just get tired. The, before you know it, he's the yeah. That, the same with the Donald. I think a lot of people are like, "Man, it's crazy." You know, just don't how far could just, this go? Yeah, just ignore him. You know. Meanwhile, that crazy guy is yeah. I heard somebody discussing the history before the rise of the Nazis that the the, the Communist Party had footholds into Germany, and they thought, "Look, we'll just let Hitler play this thing out. It's obviously going to be a great disaster." And then. Germany will be ready for communism, and, and that was their strategy as they watched, you know, that 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 turn in the road. Yeah, they supplied them with food in the beginning uh, of the war too. They shipped a lot of grain to Germany, oh, Soviet really? Union, yeah, yeah, to feed those Germans. It's like, hey, do your thing. 
Yeah. Meanwhile, the Russians were starving. And then, you know, then obviously it went wrong. Their plan <laughs> went horribly wrong. Oops. <laughs> but yeah, I remember as a, as a kid, as a kid hearing that, 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 uh, there was a sense that there was something great and horrible that was going to happen on the on the on the eve of World War Two, and uh, you know I I don't think I think that's a prominent feeling now as well as that we're at the edge of at the edge of something terrible. Yeah, and you can't stop it, I guess. Like what the you know how do we well? It's a it's a it's a social problem. It's it's not for an individual himself, you know, singularly. Right. That's a, yeah. It, it's it's a. And that's how, I'm not so much the myth of America. It's a symptom. It's like yeah. a, it's just a, it's a symptom, and exactly because somebody obviously egged him on, supported him. I mean, not just somebody, lots of. Well, people. I, I, my wife, uh, you know, in a, in a in a you know a long marriage of uh, listening to political rants, uh, listened to me eight years ago talking about uh, the 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 true plight that the working class has, has been in this country. I mean, the, the wealth has been filtered out of those societies, and, and being somebody who grew up in a small working class town in, in, in South Jersey, it was visible in the histories of so many of my classmates uh, that, that money has just pu- been pulled out of this community. Uh, DuPont was the major uh, the major employer, and DuPont moved to Mexico, and the, there's just a skeleton crew working in what used to be this huge functioning plant. Yeah, and those documentaries about every single city in America where this happened. <laughs> yes, right? yeah. So there's the, exactly, with the money, the power, too, so like everybody's fucked, and nobody has... Well, that's what I, I felt like know. we had eight years of, of the Bush and the Republicans, that didn't, there was no sense to try and turn this around for the working class during the eight years of, of the, the second Bush administration. And then uh, Obama, I didn't really sense there was a commitment to raising the standards of, of life of the poor. Uh, you know, that certainly wasn't what he compa- campaigned on. And I told my wife eight years ago, like, well, what's going to happen? We've had eight years of help not coming from the Republicans. What's, who are we going to turn to when there's eight years of help not coming from the Democrats? They're going to turn to something bad, you yeah. know? And uh, it, it, it does seem to play out that way. Um, but I, I think it's, it's it's responding to real pain that's well, in the, in the working pissed, class. Yeah, they yeah. don't know where the, to direct the anger. You know, yeah, so. and and uh, Trump does uh, you know talk a game about bringing jobs back to America. I mean, I don't think there's there's no sense that there's a real uh, plan and action that would do that. But uh, he is saying things that uh, trigger the the, words, the, the, the Republicans. The other Republican candidates aren't. You know. Yeah. Well, it's like how delusional are you willing to be to win the election? You know, it's a whole other kind of. Well, I mean, people are pissed about very simple, like very real, like things that just are you could say are basic. There's a whole lot of them, you know, so they add up. But there's just essentially, it's all very basic needs that need to be addressed, and just the ratio of of power and just the things that just need to get balanced out a little bit. Yeah. You know, and then if basic needs were addressed very honestly, you know, and a lot of just like a lot of people's lives would improve. And like, what's so bad about that? But instead, like, we're not even entering into a discussion about basic, you know, like addressing basic needs, addressing reality. So therefore, like in the yeah, eight years of Republicans, eight years of Democrats, there have been attempts, but no one has addressed reality. Therefore, the reality, the real world, is you know slowly crumbling. While everybody looking on the screens, you know, getting still getting sold a dream of like this, 
I have friends. It's in their working f- for less and less people, though. Yeah, you know, so. I have friends in their fifties. You know, guys in their fifties that are now, you know, wandering around Florida looking for you know construction work as being like you know this this place where you know there's there's possibilities that there aren't in these little dying towns. But to to be uprooted at that age and sent out to do physical labor, it's a, a worrisome situation, and uh, those sort of stresses seem to crack across society in many ways. And those are those those ways are addressed in your paintings. I'm tr- yeah, I guess I'm trying to conceal them to be not as depressing. It's like it's all sounds so <laughs> depressing. And I guess when you depict it too honestly, people just don't want to look. Yeah, how it do you how do you make much. that enticing? Well, I, I try to mask it through the the you know the comforting lens of video game kind of feel. You know, so the colors are supposed to trigger you know feelings of pl- you know being in front of that video comforting video game screen, the glow. Yeah, of bright colors. Maybe some, and, uh, uh, like it kind of it creates a feeling like you're uh, entering an, an alternate space. You know, you're not in reality anymore. But we're talking. But then I get to discuss things, kind of like you know, just uh, like good satire because it'll can take you and it could take you to like that movie Idiocracy, for example. Let's say you know it goes to a different time. Uh, and it t- totally displaces you from, let's say, where you are in the immediate moment. But it talks about your immediate concerns. Like you know, as you're watching, you think the world's getting dumber, and like we're all thinking to ourselves, like, where is this all leading? And then the movie kind of addresses those, you know, concerns through these metaphors that it's easier to kind of digest. I think. Yeah. So then, hence, like that's why I try to paint these kinds of you know history paintings through the video game non-threatening kind of lens like hey remember this this comforting world enter enter did you did you play video games uh, oh i did yeah my mom tried to definitely prevent but i'd go to my friend's houses play a lot and eventually i saved up and got my own sega dreamcast and then i would just play that all the time this is in the united states yeah 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 well i remember our cousin got a sega genesis when i was a kid in in lithuania right before we left so like i i did get to play sonic yeah. The Hedgehog when it first. I mean, obviously later than the West, but like whenever the hell it got to Lithuania, we got to in the nineties. Do you play regularly at all anymore? No, because it got way out of control. I think as my parents tried to suppress it so much in the when I was young that when I, it was just you know me against myself. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about let's say my like early twenties. You know, and you could just stay up all night. And you just, I don't know, stay up for three days if you want to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Get to the end of the uh, exactly. You know, the thing, yeah. And then it just got kind of got too easy because after a while I would just, well, it became insane. I would just stay up for two days, beat a game, stay up for two days, you know. It's like just because I, I just wanted to. It was too enjoyable to check out, you know. Yeah. And I wanted to see like because it's like a you know you could go shoot up some heroin and check out but I was like you know what I don't want to do that this little so the video game world kind of seemed like a nice perfect alternate reality because you know by a, a certain time the graphics got like also then in high school I was obsessed with Counter-Strike and I'd go to Chinatown and uh, play on the, on the land connection so it'd be like you know 10 versus 10 guys and you're all in the same room and pay like five dollars an hour at the thing really yeah <laughs> I would yeah I spent all my lunch money there and just hours just playing Counter-Strike. But, you know, so like you put on the headphones, you have, uh, you know, this crazy 3D environment to run through. You play it enough, you get good at it, you stop thinking, you know, about what you, like, you kind of... You, you live in it. You live in it, yeah. And it's just like, it's, 
it's a perfect little painting actually you know it's, I think it's even better than painting like video games are but I guess they're <laughs> how come you're not a video game designer well exactly I've thought about this because I think that the imagination doesn't get it it's it's a different kind of you know like I'm just uh, I don't think you know obviously I like painting I'm, uh, you know there's it does different things than video games but I'm envious of the uh, emotional involvement and, yeah. and sensory involvement of video you can't beat that you know like because it is a painting and it is a it's sound and it's sculpture because you, you know you're touching the the keys or the the mouse or whatever that you know you're using it's yeah all your senses are involved in a painting it's still like it's more of a conversation, I guess, like a just like a telepathic kind of conversation where you're just looking at it and, it, and things are unfolding as you're seeing things. You know, you're discovering, and the, the idea of the painting changes in time. So it is kind of like a conversation, sure. but you don't speak. So, it's, and I like what that what that is, yeah. that weird space that you enter where you're not, where you're thinking in a different kind of way. You're thinking through your eyes. It's you know? almost like an out of body experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, what they're really yeah. going for. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I'm somebody who works hard to feel like I stretch my aesthetic as far as possible, being as accepting as far as possible. But I still don't feel like I've I've gotten to a space in video games where I really feel like this is as fine as any of the arts. Yeah, I think it could go somewhere. But see, I guess that's why I haven't gone into video games because I think ask myself, well, like, well, if I was to make one, what would that look like? And I guess. I don't know. I've, I've come up with like fun little ideas for like 2D scrolling games just because I have a you know nostalgia for that and I kind of still want to do this I really want to make like a you know it doesn't even have to be 2D but I just think it'd be much easier and kind of more entertaining because it'd be easy to play and then just fun and stupid if like a little pillow going through an environment where it can't fight back but it just gets hit and just has to make it anyway and just you know work on the graphics of like the pounding of the like the pillow getting squished in different ways yeah so you could just play because I, I like i was watching i don't know what kind of some some video online where um it said that people react emotionally to a circle going up a hill slowly like struggling like uh-huh. just a gif of a circle go, and they're like oh come on you know like they get engaged and then so if they watch that circle slowly going up and then a circle quickly passes it and just does it people get pissed at the other circle <laughs> so I thought wow if that, if that much happens like wouldn't it be hilarious if you just had a pillow and then you're the pillow and you'd be going through the environment and then you know it's just people keep attacking you and like, oh god no stop why are you hitting me then the I think people would question the, the whole because I'm thinking non-violence is, is interesting you know with neighbors like Russia like you got, become completely peaceful and sell all your guns and then there you go you just got taken over <laughs> so it's like yeah, you're just like it's, it's a weird I guess that's another topic I think about is it's, it's just total pacifism you know I'd yeah. like to live in a world that's you know peaceful but I'm thinking there is a way to get there. But I'm just thinking the real, regardless though, the reality today is if you did just give up your guns, there's a bunch of violent people in the world, you know, and they will take that as a as a cue to move in. Like oh, yeah. somebody just some, give me your shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so how do you navigate that? And I thought, what if we made a video game where like each level was a different political system? So like in each level, they try to take advantage of <laughs> you in different ways, and you're still just a, a you know nonviolent pillow with no weapons and no ways to react. <laughs> you just you just move. So maybe one day. <laughs> uh, video games are interesting, but right, like I guess like that's the thing is the, the frameworks that are. You know, I guess the framework of history painting is pretty limited too, but it's it's working for the ideas I'm trying to express, and I guess for the ideas, the range of ideas that I feel that video games could be expressing, I can't think of how they would be done because I think it yeah. need, they, it needs a different kind of framework. It's well, it's interesting. Even I mean, it, uh, my uh, I think pacifistic tendencies are, are pretty deep seated. One of my favorite video games back when I played them as a you know, 15 or 16 year old was a paper boy in which, you know, domination was really just getting your papers delivered into the, the boxes where they had subscriptions along this long road. Like, wow, oh, that really, I was really most uh, attracted to this extremely, you know, nonviolent uh, game, even at that realm. Well, there was like a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. A system. I feel like the, the, uh, like blowing somebody up <laughs> isn't exactly that meaningful like it's emotionally <laughs> gratifying to just say pew you see an explosion on the screen pew you see an explosion yeah. on the screen but you know mentally it's not that when oh. you remember it like what's so gratifying about it watching uh, children's films with with my kid uh, so many of them especially the American films are all about there's an evil that needs to be dominated and uh, knocked out of power and you know made, probably killed and uh, we've also you grow up with the framework that can then later accept the you know what's the other ideas yeah yeah but I, I've also been very attracted to the Miyazaki films from out of the Japan and so many of those films aren't about conquering at all they're about you know going through a process you know some mysterious process but of almost accepting what you're first afraid of usually in the first scenes they'll discover some kind of scary character and you know they'll be yeah. an element of fear and then they accept and learn how to yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a it's a very different mindset yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good point no, okay, I think, you know, that's what the society feeds on and lives on. Those roles need to get replenished of people that think in a certain way. Yeah. So you have to make those people every generation. you got to get those stories to them somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, because the, mo the most effective story wins. Why is there so much effort that went into, you know, monopolizing all the news networks? Yeah. Which and is the news network that isn't the, the perspective of a multimillionaire. Yeah, exactly. They don't speak for the people. Then the, why do we have podcasts today, right? Because they have to ignore the garbage that's coming out of the news networks. <laughs> Obviously, it's not representing people, so the people turn to other sources, you know, which well, is cool. I wonder. I wonder about the... Uh, I only know. listen to podcasts, I mean, as far as, like, my news intake. I, like, I, re I read Reddit, you know, I go yeah. through Reddit, I filter my internet through Reddit, and then just, and podcasts as far Are you familiar with Democracy Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which comes as a podcast. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah, to me, I... All I, through our art, art, art school in my studio, I was listening to the Democracy Now. Yeah, I, people talking, really talking about how bad uh, the news was, and I'm like, well, you know, and about this, the, the, the inherent sexism in the news, and I'm like, well, I, I generally get my news from uh, you know a middle-aged Jewish woman, a, a Hispanic you know, older gentleman. <laughs> a, the perspective is pretty inherently different from that. But you have to sure. find them, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you just uh, let's say if you just grow up uh, you know naively in some suburb and everything's going fine for you, and you just tune in the TV, and like there's no 
very little incentives or even pushes that would send somebody. Well, it will be incentives, but it's it's not just you know as easy as turning on yeah. CNN or something. I mean, if you had if you really had to understand foreign affairs by exclusively watching network news, I, your perspective, yeah. you know, obviously would be. And the longer you watch the, those kinds of things, the harder. Then let's say somebody says, "Hey, man, listen to, to some democracy now." And then let's say for years you've been watching like Fox or MSC. Like it'll be hard then for you to accept this alternate reality yeah. that you're used. to living in this I remember world. even just getting used to her sort of unconventional anchor woman looks you know there's has there ever been a, uh, a television anchor woman who wasn't you know couldn't couldn't double as a model you know yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. really yeah no I found it to be cool and refreshing yeah, cool. well I just feel like they've been so ahead of the curve on so yeah. many stories uh, mm-hmm. that uh uh, it's sort of uh, undeniable and yet it's has almost no profile in the mass media you know it's not like uh NPR is bringing on Amy Goodman for interviews about her broadcast empire. Nope. <laughs> Podcast. Well, the internet, that's the only hope. So. Well, I, I wonder if, you know, they always talk about this as being the most liberal uh, generation ever polled in, a, in American polling, and I wonder if that isn't because they're also the most internet-savvy generation and they have a wider variety of news sources. Uh, things that I, you know, there were things that took me a long time to find out from until I moved to the the city and got uh you know newspapers from other places and other perspectives you know yeah. but now that that perspective is uh, available in everybody's homes and uh, i think those the truths have uh, have leaked into the the public mind especially among young people yeah definitely definitely yeah maybe the, you know that's a good reason to be hopeful for some positive uh unintended consequences to come yeah along yeah. with the negative ones we've discussed i guess and it might be best to end the end this on that upbeat though. Yeah. Uh, thanks so so much. It was a great uh, uh, coming and uh, watching the sun go down and uh, talking. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Dan. One, two, three, four. That's it for our show. Thanks to Skip for being so open and sharing his work and experience. Again, check out his work at skirmontespippus.com. Thanks to my lovely wife Carrie Farrow for her untiring work on some forthcoming fun the no business. You can catch past episodes of the Fun to Know podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Catch me spinning jazz Mondays at 11 a.m. EST on WPRB Princeton. Read my film reviews at Falker.com and check back in two weeks for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time. She World. just blames Minecraft and you know other games and chats with kids. And it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I was, like you know, I showed up to to my aunt's house for for some dinner, and then she just kind of runs up like, "Oh hey, do you play Minecraft?" I was like, "What? <laughs> no, do you? Why? You're twelve. What are you doing on Minecraft?" But she's completely stuck in that world. And then she, there's just like, I guess, this uh, bunch of uh, YouTube. Well, like with anything, with his YouTube channels on Minecraft and the people commenting and, you know, little. My kid is tuned into this whole. She watches so many of those. But you say your your niece, was it, or your cousin who has learned yeah, American English, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, speaks with like, yeah. It's like, like she's, you know, she completely fit into to Philly. You could drop her off, she'd walk down the street and just have a conversation. You would her, never, her never, transition into school wouldn't be as hard as yours. Huh? Not at all, right. Yeah, thanks to YouTube, shit. I guess if I had, who, you see? Yeah. Did it the hard way.